Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It's 7 o'clock. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. A crystal clear sunny day in St. Louis. Not so much Michelle in Augusta, Georgia right now. What a bummer. 2020 just can't let us have anything nice. No, it cannot, no. The <laughs> Masters is in the midst of a weather delay. Bryson DeChambeau was supposed to tee off about 10 minutes ago, but he hasn't. Tiger was supposed to tee off here in just a few minutes he'll be delayed and hopefully they'll be able to play a little golf today we were so excited we settled in here we had golf on the tv we were ready to pay half attention to the show and half attention to to the masters and then thunderstorms in georgia all right before we get going and talking about the cardinals and the possibility of francisco lindor being a cardinal we need to start with this because yesterday michelle after months of waiting had (laughs) a peloton delivered to her home. Congratulations on that. Thank you. I feel like I've joined a really cool club. Oh, an exclusive. Big time. And here is the question that begs to be answered, and we want you, especially as delivery people, to weigh in. 65780 is our air comfort service text line. Michelle, tell the story, because I I can't tell it the way you can, because you lived it. Okay, so the Peloton was supposed to be delivered yesterday, and they reach out several times in advance to not only confirm that you're going to be home during the scheduled window that they had prepared for you, but to make sure that you're home and you are ready to have something delivered in a pandemic. They're confirming that the delivery people are going to be wearing masks, that you need to be wearing masks, have things out of the way, make sure you're six feet apart, all of those things. So I made sure that I was... at home. I made sure everything was out of the way. I made sure I had a mask on. All of these things were preoccupying my mind. So they deliver the Peloton. They set it up. It's a very easy process, about 20 minutes. They're getting ready to leave. And all of a sudden, a light bulb goes off over my head. And I thought, oh, no, am I supposed to tip them? And then immediately I start to panic because I never have cash. I'm I'm just somebody that does not carry cash. And I did not plan in advance and even consider tipping because I was thinking about the masks and cleaning and all these other things that you worry about in a pandemic. And they had asked for a review as they were leaving. Didn't, Didn't linger or anything for a tip. But after they left, I went into panic mode thinking, oh, my gosh, was I supposed to tip them? And then I didn't. So I texted all my friends that have Pelotons were all on a group text and it was split 50 50. Some said, yep, I tipped about 20 bucks each, gave them some cash. They were on their way. Other people said, oh, no, I didn't. But should I have? Mm-hmm. And it, online, it says it's up to your discretion. You can do it if you want. But I need to know. I had them write down their names so that I could reach back out to Peloton and get them a tip somehow. So the question is, and Michelle's friends were 50-50, for a Peloton person or somebody who comes up and sets up something and delivers it to your home, 
should you tip A and B, what should that tip be? By the way, in regards to your cash, several years ago, on Super Bowl Sunday, some scofflaws actually implanted a skimmer on the ATM machine at our bank during the Super Bowl. And they, they actually took the thing apart, put a skimmer in there. And so Jones at Schnooks using a debit card, and they said it's declined. And so she called, and they said, you have no money in your account. <gasps> and they knew. the the So what these people do is they get your information from your debit card. They implant it on a gift card. They'll go to Quick Trip or Mobile on the Run or something, and they'll take out the maximum that they can there without being suspected of anything, which is like $500. And they nailed us for like six grand, and they nailed like multiple people, like 20 or 30 people that they got from this one skimmer and got like $100,000 out of it. They come into town for a couple of weeks, and right as they're about to get caught, they know they get out of town. And so we got our money back eventually. Wow. But it costs the bank a lot of money, and these people do it all over the country. And it was actually at our bank's ATM. So because of that, we don't use the ATM anymore. We only deal in cash. Right. So did those people ever get caught? We don't know. You but have no idea. They were staying at Westport. They, they were from out of town. The, the cops found out they were staying at Westport. But right as they were about to get caught, like two weeks into their stay here, 11 days, I think, they got out and they move on to the next town and they start doing the same thing in another town. Think about if those people put that time and energy towards something productive. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I guess right. it is productive yeah. for them because they're getting a lot of money out of it. But, but use your intelligence and powers for good rather than evil. Right. Exactly. Yeah, think of what they could do for the world. Man. Think of what Francisco Lindor could do, Michelle, for the Cardinals. Francisco, that's fun to say. It is fun it to is. say. It yeah. is. Thank you, buddy. He has been tied to the Cardinals, at least peripherally, by both Jim Bowden at The Athletic and John Morosi of MLB.com. And everybody seems to agree that the Indians will want three young players, either current major leaguers or people that are about to debut very quickly. And... We're closer to the Cardinals. I don't see a connection either in terms of player compensation or in terms of the Cardinals being able to keep Francisco Lindor. I don't see how the Cardinals and the Indians could do this deal. The Indians are loaded with good young middle infielders. So from that perspective, I don't see it. The three of their top eight prospects, number two, Tyler Freeman is one of them, are shortstops. They need outfield production, they need catching, and they need young power arms, and they need a closer because they just waved Brad Hand. If I'm in Cleveland's shoes, and I don't look at this from the Cardinals' perspective, I'm going to look at it from Cleveland's perspective. Mm -hmm. I'm going to want an outfielder or two. I'm going to want a pitcher, and I would really like to get a catcher out of a deal if I'm going to move Lindor also. And I don't think that the Cardinals will be willing to give that up, do you? No, because if I'm Cleveland... I'm asking for Dylan Carlson. I'm asking for Andrew Kisner, two young guys who just made their major league debuts. And I'm probably, I'm going to start by asking for Jordan Hicks. Might not get him, Mm-mm. but Cody Whitley, somebody like that. Because I know that if I go to the Mets, where their new owner didn't suffer losses this year, yep. the team may have, but Steve Cohen is brand new. He, he doesn't have anything to worry about, and he's the richest owner in baseball. Who said he's wanting to spend. <laughs> Right. And build a team. And they have the things on their roster that it would appear that the Indians would like. Uh, an outfielder or slash DH like uh, 
J.D. Davis, who, who can really hit. Dominic Smith, who, who's another one of those guys who's a big bat that can play in the outfield. Plus, they could offer up a center fielder like Brandon Nimmo and some of their young pitching. The Mets, not only from a financial standpoint, point, but from a return standpoint, are a much better match for the Indians than the Cardinals are. And the Mets could sign him right away. So if the Indians go to the Cardinals and let's say they propose what you just mentioned. They propose what I just mentioned. And they say, okay, first person that we want is Dylan Carlson. The Cardinals are going to say no. No. Is there really anyone else on this team that you think would be that desirable for them to be the linchpin in the deal? I got to tell you, if I were in Cleveland's shoes and the Mets were interested, no. Do I want, am I going to trade Francisco Lindor for a a package that is led by Tyler O'Neill or Harrison Bader? No. No. I've already got Harrison Bader. The Cardinals already gave me Oscar Mercado. I got the same guy. (laughs) Right? Right. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to make a trade for Paul DeYoung because I've got all these young shortstops on the way. I'm 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 happy and content with the shortstops that I have. So if I don't get Dylan Carlson, if I'm the Indians, I'm going to move on because I've got the Dodgers perhaps interested. I've got the Mets interested. I've got the Blue Jays who want to spend interested. And they have better prospects than the Cardinals have if Dylan Carlson isn't included in the, the deal. You not to mention that the Indians have other options and probably better options, but as I'm reading Morosi's piece on this, the first paragraph that he has about the Cardinals and Lindor and the connection is about why it's a good idea. And then the second paragraph is about what prohibits it from getting done, okay? So he, he mentions that Lindor is going to inject energy and production into the lineup, correct? Um, his arrival in St. Louis would be in a different role for Paul DeYoung, correct? His personality, meaning Lindor, would brighten the narrative around the Cardinals, which is currently being dominated by their misevaluation of Randy Rosarena. Also correct. Next paragraph. The Cardinals aren't going to act quickly on Lindor because of the COVID-19 pandemic, because it's affected their budget. Yep. And the front office must first determine whether they're going to sign franchise icons, Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright. Also correct. So... I just think if you look at the first paragraph and the second paragraph, you're outlining the dream and then you're telling everyone Mm -hmm. why it's not going to happen. Yeah. And along those lines, Jim Bowden writes at The Athletic, the expected trade return is expected to be fairly similar to what the Red Sox received from the Dodgers in the Mookie Betts trade back in February, and perhaps a little more than what the Diamondbacks received in the Paul Goldschmidt trade two years ago to the Cardinals. Well, what the Red Sox got was Jason Verdugo, who is... Uh, a click below D- Dylan Carlson in terms of offensive potential. He's 24 years old. They got the number 44 prospect in all of baseball named Jeter Downs. This is what the Red Sox got last year. And a top hitting catcher prospect in Connor Wong. So if you're the Red Sox, or if you're the Indians rather, and you want something similar to what the Red Sox got, you're going to want a top offensive outfielder. Uh, you're going to want another high level top 50 prospect in the game and a top-catching prospect. So can the Dodgers, even though they have Will Smith, they have a top-five prospect that's a catcher, if they would want to make that deal. They still have young outfielders on the way. They still have young pitching on the way. The Dodgers didn't have to give up their top two prospects last year to get Mookie Betts, Dustin May and Gavin Lux. Which is incredible. (laughs) Yeah, it's truly amazing. And then you look at the other teams that would be interested. 
we know the Blue Jays are loaded with young players and would be willing to give one of those up in a deal. And obviously, I think the Mets are the front runner. So I hate to throw cold water on this, but unless you're a Cardinal fan that would be willing to give up Carlson and Kisner to start a deal, I don't see a, a fit between the Cardinals and the Indians. So Francisco is fun to say. It's, it is. It's fun to imagine. Francisco, ima- that's fun to say. It's fun to imagine mm-hmm. and dream about, but it's likely not going to happen. Likely not. The other teams, by the way, that Jim Bowden lists as possibly interested include the Cubs. That's not happening either because they aren't going to spend. The Giants, who do have an interest in spending, but they've got another year left of Brandon Crawford. The Phillies and the Angels. I don't see the Phillies making that deal, and the Angels need to spend their money on pitching. So there is a select few groups, uh, a select group of major league teams that I think could and would make the move for Lindor as a trade piece this offseason. We know that Lindor is a desirable asset and he's electric and he would infuse this Cardinals Mm -hmm. team with a lot of energy and personality and skill. But are you, even with the acquisition of Lindor, confident in the team around him? No, but he would be the best player on the Cardinals. From that perspective, I would love to get him because if you get him, he's the best player on the Cardinals. But the Cardinals need a guy that hits home runs. Mm -hmm. He hits 30 playing for Cleveland, but I want a slugger. I want a corner infielder outfield slugger that can give me a huge OPS. I, I want to hit a lot of doubles and I, want, I definitely want a guy that hits home runs out of the ballpark. That's what they need right now. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Next up on 101 ESPN, Blues defenseman Justin Falk says he needs to be better. Can he be and how will he be in 2021? That's next on 101 ESPN. Francisco, that's fun to say. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Last year before the season started, the Blues, of course, made that trade for Justin Falk, who never really did have a consistent spot with the Blues and a guy that had been a really good power play before performer before and had been a pretty good scorer only had five goals and 11 assists in 69 regular season games for the blues the year before that he had been a 35 point performer with 11 goals he'd earlier scored 8 17 16 and 15 goals in a season and that's what the blues expected 12 to 15 goals so falk wasn't near what the blues hoped that he would be well now you have a guy that is hoping and the blues hope that especially with the departure of petro alex petrangelo michelle that he can be more in tune with what the blues are doing but the key as far as i'm concerned and it sounds like the blues look at this as the key too is him just having a consistent spot every night yeah i think that they've mentioned it several times that the stability is going to benefit him and hopefully benefit the team and it's more than hoping that he's going to get to the point that the blues need they need him to get to the point that they anticipated when they made that deal and signed him. Because if Justin Falk remains at the same level of production that you got out of him last season, that's going to be that's going to be troubling for the Blues. But I truly think that there was a lot of factors at play for him this past season. The the lack of consistency in one spot, as we mentioned yesterday, being the only guy on the team really up until the end when Marco Scandella joined that wasn't a part of that magical run they went on. And there's just a lot of factors that come into play when somebody comes to a new organization. So hopefully he's that much more ingrained in St. Louis and in the organization, and he's he knows that he's going to have a permanent spot on this team and on this defense, and we can see him take that next step. There's a great line that Tony Dungy uses with his players, used with his players, that everybody in every walk of life can use. And that phrase is simple. It's 
no excuses, no explanations. And Justin Falk appears to be able to understand what went wrong last year. Just got to play well. I mean, I, I didn't play that well, so it's not anything like I'm not really viewing it as that I need to do anything super crazy or whatnot and, and change everything up as that I've done in the past. So I just need to essentially play better. And that's uh, where I'm at with that, I, I guess. And uh, like you said, it's probably going to be a little bit uh, a little bit easier just in a sense with uh, how the pairs might match up and all that stuff. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm just taking it as I just need to play a little better. The fact that he has played in the past as a right defenseman with Tori Krug on the left certainly should add some level of comfort, never at the NHL level, but in a world championship scenario. Mm-hmm. That benefits him. And just having a year with the guys, like you said earlier, I think really adds to, it should add to his comfort level. I also really appreciate the self-awareness out of him. As you mentioned, no, no excuses, no, no. What was it? No excuses, no explanations. Yeah. No excuses, no explanations to just say, yeah, I didn't play to the level that the team expected me to, that I expected me to. And I know that I have to play better next year. Now we know that there's no way that a, a hockey team is better when they lose a guy like Alex Petrangelo. Correct. But it can help a guy like this improve. When you look at... The, the fact that he doesn't have to play the left side anymore, and that's just, as Craig Bruby told us a couple of weeks ago, it's just not home for him. Mm-hmm. Being on the right side, whether he's playing with Marco Scandella or with uh, Tory Krug, will make him better because that's where he is, that's where he belongs. Plus, he came here as a power play specialist, and Petro and then Pareko were getting all of the power play time. He had very little time in his spot on the power play, which is the right point. From... That perspective, I, I say he almost has no choice but to be better because that's where he's been an all-star in the past, a three-time all-star. Well, and if the team, in maybe consciously or unconsciously, when they move on from Alex Petrangelo, I'm, I, we know Doug Armstrong takes a macro view of this and looks at every possible way that this could go. And I'm sure when they were thinking about Petro, part of the thing they were thinking about is, hey, we also have this other big contract in Justin Falk. And maybe if we give him some stability and maybe if we put all of these circumstances around him in areas that we know he's going to thrive, we can extract the production that we need out of him. And that's going to benefit the team in a different way. While it's certainly not Alex Alex Petrangelo, I think they're looking at the general construct of the defense and saying, if we can put people in different positions where we know it's comfortable for them and know that they're going to thrive, we while we're going to be missing something in Petro, certainly, we can be good in a different way. Another part of this for a guy like Falk is that he's not an elite defender. And if they do pair him with a guy like Scandella, who isn't Jay Bowmeister, but he's a great defensive defenseman. That allows a guy to pinch in a little bit more, to use his offensive skills a little bit more, because Scandella is responsible enough to cover the back end if Falk decides to pinch in on, on the offense. When you're making your list of people that need to improve on this team, is Justin Falk number one he's on the list? He's number one for he's me. He's number one on the list. Yeah, and it wouldn't be that way if Alex Petrangelo hadn't left. And even with the addition of Tory Krug, you have a really nice group of defensemen now. And by the way, you've got a kid in Scott Perunovich who is kind of like Quinn Hughes with Vancouver, kind of like Kale McCarr with Colorado. We're going towards that quicker, smaller defenseman, at least on the power play. And if Perunovic winds up being a big part of the Blues at some point, whether it's 21 or 21-22, then the Blues will kind of morph into a team that was 
a defensive team that won the Stanley Cup into an offensive team. If you have Falk and Krug and Pareko and Perunovic and they're all top four guys or top five guys on your defense, you're becoming an offensive squad in the NHL. You aren't a team that's built on defense anymore, which is a pretty dramatic sea change for Craig Berube. It's incredible, too, that you lose someone like Alex Petrangelo, who is the captain of your team, and we know what a force he is out on the ice. But yet, as you're talking about this, Randy, about the different evolutions that this team and this defense can take, I'm getting excited to see what the Blues can do and what they can put together. And it's amazing that you can say goodbye to somebody like Alex Petrangelo and still feel good about your team, even though a lot of question marks still exist, but feel good about the team and excited about the direction that they're building towards. Even though the Tampa Bay Lightning lost in the first round last year before winning the the Stanley Cup this year. That's the future of this league. People don't fight anymore. It's not a big physical league anymore. And the smaller guy, for various reasons, is coming back into the game. And yes, the Blues did one be- win because they played a heavy style and they maintained the puck and they were able to go in and forecheck. But what you really need is your forwards to be big. But it's a transition game now and you got to get the puck out of your own zone. You got to maintain possession of the puck. People like, especially the, the big guys right now, when we're talking about Falk, Krug, hopefully Pareko, they can get the puck out of the zone. Perunovic is a guy that can get the puck out of his own zone. If you're going to be a good team now, the key is going to be being a puck possession team. More than playing defense in your own end, it's going to be about maintaining possession of the puck and getting it out of your own end and going up and being able to score or at the very least maintaining puck possession in the offensive zone. Ex- and that's what they can do. I'm excited to see this team back in action. Hopefully we can get a start date soon. That'll be nice. <laughs> and when they do, Falk says it'll be good to have an established role. I was starting to get more comfortable at the end of the year there, uh, well, which was quite a long time ago now, uh, February and March. And and then into the into the playoffs a bit with, with kind of flipping back and forth. And it is something I hadn't really done before, so it took me uh, obviously a little bit of time to get used to it and more comfortable with it. But um, it'll probably probably helping it i don't think anyone's gonna deny that it's a little bit easier just uh sticking with one side or or having that clarity of knowing probably where you're gonna line up every night and being able to be with the team for an entire camp would help the nhl still talking about and i don't know why the possibility of a january 1st start date i don't see any way that happens i think probably more likely and more reasonable for them would be a month after the NBA. NBA starts on December 22nd. Mm-hmm. I think the NHL should feel pretty happy if they could get going on January 22nd. Yeah, don't you think if we're here on November 12th, if January 1st was still the target, that we would have had some sort of confirmation and have some sort of forward momentum towards that? Under normal circumstances and with a normal league, you would think so. But this is the NHL. That's true. That's a really good point. <laughs> so, you never know. You never know. You're right. But I would think if I was somebody like Justin or players or Doug Armstrong or Craig Bruby, people that need to know so they can plan when to get these guys all back together to be monitoring the way that they're training. All of these factors that are put into play and you're just kind of hanging out in purgatory, not knowing when, it's got to be incredibly difficult. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, Carricker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. So the Cleveland Indians are still loaded with starting pitching. They still have great starting pitching, even though they lost the National League Cy Young Award winner. Would the Indians trade Francisco Lindor to the Cardinals? Is there a match there? We think no. Does Greg Amsinger think yes? That's next. Our MLB Network lead anchor and buddy from St. Louis is next on Carriker and Smallman. 
We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Let's head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and our friend Linda Wood grad, a product of St. Louis. The one and only Greg Amzinger is on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Good morning, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I've enjoyed uh, Awards Week. I don't know about you guys, but um, I think it's been a very nice and eventful week for Major League Baseball. Good news, you know. It's been great. And one of the things that you caught the other night, and it just kind of got glossed over, was when Tito Francona announced Cash as the American League winner of the uh, Manager of the Year and talked about how, I always thought I'd give you a, uh, announce you as a Silver Slugger mm-hmm. Award winner. <laughs> <laughs> you caught it, I could tell. It was funny. I mean, come on, Kevin Cash can never hit. And the Terry Francona's a funny guy. Uh, I really have enjoyed that element to this year's broadcast. You know, obviously, Jack O'Connell, who's the secretary treasurer of the BBWAA, and it's their award. We get to air it. Uh, he's been the guy that announces it. You know, he's up there. You know, he's around 70 now, and his kids asked him to not leave his New York City apartment, obviously with COVID spreading, especially in the Northeast. So he decided not to do it, and totally understandable. So we tried to figure out a different way to do it, and we've used people that have won that award. And I got to tell you, even Jack loves it. He's at home watching television how great it is. So I think next year, you know, Jack might be in the studio just introducing the guy who's going to announce the award. I think that's the way it's got to go going forward. Just, Just to hear Cal Ripken Jr. say to Kyle Lewis, Hey, welcome to the club, mm-hmm. you know, because rookie of the year. How great is that? I think that's going to be a staple going forward. Greg, I was telling Randy during the break that I'm listening to this podcast called The Edge right now about the Houston Astros cheating scandal, and I'm obsessed with it. It was it was really, really well done. And then last night, I'm watching Alex Cora's press conference and his return to baseball. And we have A.J. Hinch back in the mix with Detroit. As I mentioned, Cora's back in Boston. So I wanted to ask you. These guys are both really good managers, but obviously they did something that ruffled a lot of feathers with a lot of fans and a lot of people within baseball. But do you think baseball is better having Cora and Hinch back in the mix? Uh, that's a really good question. Um, is baseball better? Well, what have we learned over the years? Um, if you cheat, if you file a lawsuit against Major League Baseball, you can become the face of baseball. Um, you can be put on the pregame show of the World Series. You can, uh, you know, yeah, Alex Rodriguez is a, is a media darling. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how much uh, cheating and not doing things the right way has held people back, unfortunately. Uh, Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, uh, they have been kind of shunned from baseball because they're still trying to proclaim their innocence. Um, I, it's an odd thing. To me, if you move the needle and you win, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. That, that's the message kids are getting. and I, It bums me out. I don't think that's the right thing to do. It's the worst kept secret in baseball that Alex Cora was going to go back to the Boston Red Sox. Once Ron Renneke was the guy they anointed as kind of the Band-Aid for a year, and Ron Renneke knew that this was something he did well long-term. He was the right-hand guy to Alex Cora during all that stuff in Boston. Oh, by the way, it's the Boston Red Sox, and Ron Renneke has never been deemed a managerial genius, and that's the guy that they were going to put in that spot. It was obvious they were going to go get Cora back. I know both guys, and they're both incredible at what they do in terms of dealing with the media, motivating players, 
Uh, and, you know, in, in the game, in the dugout, they know how to pull a few strings, sometimes too many strings, apparently. So <laughs> I, it, to me, it's, 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 it's another example of cheating is all right, as long as you win, 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 no matter what. And I just wish that wasn't the case. Um, I, is baseball better? Maybe more interesting. Maybe it moves the needle, right? It just adds to the villain mantra. If you're a fan of the New York Yankees, don't you hate the Red Sox even more now? So maybe that moves the needle. And like Alex Rodriguez, he's got a lot of followers on social media. Maybe that's what it's all about. But to be fair, Greg, don't you think A-Rod is a media darling because of the J-Lo effect? Ah. <laughs> uh... <laughs> No, because I got be, no. Because if if it wasn't J Lo, it'd be someone else, right? That's I mean, true. <laughs> it'd be someone else interesting. So uh, no, I, I think Alex Rodriguez is that's what he's always bringing to the party is something interesting like that and someone interesting <laughs> like that. So uh, no, I think Alex Rodriguez is just he's just the headline. So what you're saying is is that whether it's Cameron Diaz feeding him popcorn at the Super Bowl or him dating Madonna, it's it, it's going to be somebody. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not going to be boring, you know. We're not going to be like, wait a minute, I've never heard of this person before. That's not going to happen. So, uh, you know, hey, to each their own, it, it's it, – obviously worked for him. It almost got him the New York Mets. I mean, let's think about that for a second. This dude went from cats off, and listen, if you know me personally, you know that Alex and I don't see exactly eye to eye on a lot of things, but uh, you know, give him a lot of credit for what he's been able to do and, and turn things around in his career. But he went from, you know, a cheater, big time cheater, multiple time cheater in the game, uh, to a point now where it's hard to acknowledge any of the authenticity of his career to um, suing Major League Baseball, him and Manfred just going at it, right? And and then out of nowhere, boom, face of baseball, which almost led to him owning the New York <laughs> Mets. I mean, it's the most incredible turnaround story I've ever heard. So with that said, I, I have to give him some props for that. Our friend Greg Amzinger of MLB Network on Carriker and Smallman. Hey, Greg, one of your colleagues at MLB Network, John Morosi, plus Jim Bowden at The Athletic, both connecting the Cardinals, at least peripherally, to Francisco Lindor and the Indians. And obviously, we all think that the Mets have the inside track. But can you see a logical scenario, knowing the mechanics of the front offices, knowing the systems of the teams? you see a way that the Cardinals are in the mix for Francisco Lindor this offseason? That's a really good question. You know, you have to throw Gorman in there, their top position player prospect. You have to load it up with young arms. At this point, I don't know if the Cardinals have the young arms that are so top shelf that are future A's material that could get a deal like that done. If you're the Indians, you got to cash this in the right way. I don't know if the New York Mets have enough to pull this off. And, and you know, maybe – uh, with different young pitchers that I've seen them draft in the last couple of years, they could end up getting a guy like this. Um, but Francisco Lindor is going to land somewhere that I think is a la Mookie Betts, where the organization cares about him, like the Boston Red Sox cared about Mookie Betts. They want him to go somewhere that maybe he would want to stay long-term. We'll have the resources to lock him up. So I think that's what you have to look at here. Which team would be the Dodgers? a la Dodgers to the Mookie Betts situation. The Cardinals could definitely be that team. We've talked about it a lot on your show. 
that they need the next superstar? Who's the next guy that we could talk about being a future Hall of Famer? Nolan Arenado comes to mind, but Francisco Lindor is also that guy. You know, it's a tough situation for him to hold off free agency as long as he did and now be one year away when the finances of baseball are where they are. It didn't hold back Mookie Betts whatsoever because no one else was negotiating against the Dodgers when they gave him over $360 million. But that's the Dodgers. That's something the Cardinals could not do, especially now. So looking at where the Mets are financially with Cohen taking over as the new owner, not Alex Rodriguez and J-Lo, and this guy is as aggressive as anyone. He's now the wealthiest manager or wealthiest owner in the game. To me, the writing's on the wall that that is the, the, the organization that could pull it off and give this guy whatever he wants, market value before COVID, which I just can't see St. Louis doing. And by the way, speaking of Cleveland, it's pretty amazing. They get rid of Kluber, Clevenger, Bauer within the space of a year. And last night, Bieber is the unanimous AL Cy Young choice. A former Red, uh, Indian, Bauer of the Reds, wins the National League Cy Young. And they just keep turning guys out. If they don't make a move, Cleveland, for a pitcher for next season, I would feel pretty good about their rotation, even though they got rid of all those guys. Without a doubt, uh, you know, Zach Plesak's the up-and-coming superstar. He you know, had a knucklehead moment uh, when he left the uh, the bubble. But, man, he's a talented young guy. Uh, their rotation is going to be good. We, we overlook Carlos Carrasco, mm-hmm. who's still there. He's been a steady guy. Uh, but Beaver, to me, my comparison last night in the show is he's DeGrom-esque. He's only 20, 25, entering his age 26 season. One of the nicest people I've ever met in the game. I said to him last night, his parents said it the right way. They, he is just such a nice guy. But he's got all the pitches. Uh, he's not throwing 101 like Jacob DeGrom, but he's a little younger than Jacob DeGrom. So if you look at DeGrom's stuff at the same age, it's identical to what Shane Bieber has. So if you're the Indians and you don't want to invest in the Francisco Lindor sweepstakes to lock up a shortstop, it's not going to take as much right now. that I think Bieber would take it. Uh, lock him up. Give him a, a little over $100 million. He'll take that right now. That's not even the stratosphere for Francisco Lindor. It's an interesting point you make. The other thing that I found interesting about that show last night, here I am looking at Shane Bieber's face, and to his left is Kenta Maeda. To his right is Hunjin Ryu. Mm-hmm. Two, two former Dodgers. Like, they were there in 2019, former Dodgers. You'll never see that again. In the history of baseball, a team let go of two pitchers who were finalists for a Cy Young. Both guys. And the team that let him walk wins the World Series that next year. You'll never see that again. That's phenomenal. That's the Dodgers were. That is incredible. Okay, Greg, last thing for me. I have a lot of friends in Chicago, a lot of friends who are White Sox fans, and I've had to talk them off the ledge recently about Tony La Russa. They are truly despondent over that hire. You know, you have Tim Anderson saying, hey, I'm going to continue to be me. I'm going to play the way I want. I'm going to bat flip. Tony La Russa is going to have to deal with it. We're going to talk, but hopefully he's cool with it. And this is all before the DUI arrest, which certainly wasn't a great look for him. So I wanted to ask you, do you think that Tony La Russa is going to be able to win over the clubhouse and the fan base in Chicago? It's one step at a time, Michelle. Right now, we just got to get him into the dugout uh, for spring training. It's still up in the air whether or not this is something that he wants to do now because of all of this firestorm that has come his way over this DUI. Jerry Reinsdorf is not going to go back on his decision. He might be the the most loyal owner in all professional sports. That said, um, you know, Tony is 76 years old and how much grief do you want to walk through uh, at this stage of your life? And uh, to me, it's not 
it's not set in stone that he's the manager. I know that the announcement, the press conference, all that stuff has already happened. But this DUI stuff, which which they knew about, the White Sox knew about uh, when they made the hire, the details have come out, though, and they're very murky. So I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if, you know, much like Carlos Beltran never managed a game for the New York Mets, if this doesn't end up happening. So to your friends in Chicago who are worried that Tony LaRusso should, like, maybe shouldn't be the manager, they might still get their wish. If he is the manager, um, to me, it's going to be based on who his bench coach is. Uh, that is such a vital role uh, because the game has so many layers now. Not that you're, you're trying to teach a Hall of Fame manager how to manage, but there are ways in which players communicate that has it's different now in the, since 10 years ago. So his bench coach is going to be incredibly important, and he'll probably pick a great one. But don't think – right now, I would be surprised, Michelle, if Tony La Russa was the manager of the Chicago White Sox wow. in 2021. I would be surprised. Great stuff. Hey, Greg, before we let you go, we picked our Masters winners yesterday. <laughs> Scott picked John Rahm. Michelle picked Bryson DeChambeau. I picked Dustin Johnson. You can pick whoever you want. All of us could have picked DJ or Rahm or DeChambeau. So who you got this weekend? It's 2020. Let's remind ourselves. It's the weirdest year of our lives. I think it's time an old guy pulls it off. Fred Couples, man. Swing easy, Freddie. Fred <laughs> Couples walks out there off the Champions Tour. And I saw him out there with, with Tiger Woods. He could care less. That dude just has the most confidence of anybody. And it's the most beautiful right-handed swing. Effortless. I would love to see on that golf course where everyone talks about if you can bomb it, bomb it, bomb it. You got to know where to be on that golf course. That's why Tiger Woods won last year. He's not the longest off the tee. I think Freddie Couples will be my pick. And, oh, what a great prediction that would be if an epic match oh. happened. We saw Tiger pull it off, but to see an old gray hair with it, oh, my goodness. That's what I'm looking for. <laughs> be awesome. Okay, so he's got the best right-handed swing. You're a lefty, so you pay attention to lefty golfers. Who's got the best left-handed golf swing? Well, Phil Mickelson is as smooth as it gets, man. I never, I'll never forget being a young dude, and you saw that video of Phil Mickelson, like straight out of college, hitting a flop shot backwards, seventy yards onto a green. If you've never seen this, you've got to Google it. A backwards flop shot, Mickelson. I was obsessed with golf after that. Um, but I, you know what? I still like how far Bubba Watson hits it. I love the fact that he was never really trained, so his swing is so herky jerky. It's so left-handed because that's what lefties are like. We're just weird. Um, I love watching Bubba Watson. That's my favorite guy out there. All right. Hey, great to have you with us. We'll be tuned in tonight. A big night tonight. All right. Yeah, I'm MVP. I'll be on with Tom Berducci, Harold Reynolds. We'll see what happens. It's going to be uh, an exciting MVP evening on MLB Network. All right, Greg. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. All right. Take care, guys. See you, man. That's our buddy Greg Amzinger from St. Louis, from the Lindenwood University, and, of course, from MLB Network. Is that a hot take on Hot Take Thursday that Greg just dropped on us about I Tony LaRussa? I think that's big-time Hot Take Thursday material. I love it. That's great. Next up, we've got Take It or Leave It. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Tioli and you on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> 
At 8.30, we need a fighter for the fight here on 101 ESPN. Just send a text in with your name and the word fight to 65780. And we will allow you to perhaps be the fighter. Scotty will pick one out, and hopefully you'll be able to take me on at 8.30 today here on 101 ESPN. So we're going to talk about this later, but Greg Amzinger is saying that he'd be surprised if Tony Larusa managed a game again with the White Sox. Yeah, we should talk about that next because I was shocked he said that. Me too. We will talk about that. But right now it's time for Take It or Leave It. Your text 65780. Michelle, yesterday, Ravens quarterback Lamar Jackson was on the Rich Eisen show and said that opposing defenses know what's coming. He said, they're calling out our plays, stuff like that. They know what we're doing. Sometimes stuff won't go our way if they're beating us to the punch. So opposing defenses know what the Ravens are going to do. Right now, Lamar Jackson has a passer rating of 95.1. Tom Brady is next ahead of him in NFL quarterback passer rating rankings at 96.2. And right behind him is Jared Goff. Take it or leave it. This makes what Lamar Jackson is doing this year all the more amazing. Take it. He's basically having Tom Brady's year, but with opposing defenses knowing and calling out what he's about to do. Yeah, you have to be more impressive. Everybody knows what he's doing, and he's still being effective. Athleticism, yeah. And maybe it's a, a, a pox on Jared Goff's play. I see a hint of a smile over there yeah. for you. <laughs> so apparently defenses don't know what Jared Goff is about to do, and his passer rating isn't as high as Lamar Jackson's, where defenses do know what's coming. Not great. <laughs> no. <laughs> Not great. Okay, Randy, I have a, another quarterback teal for you. So you can listen to Thursday Night Football tonight here on 101 ESPN. We have the Colts versus the Titans pregame coming your way at 7 p.m. But take it or leave it. Tonight is the last night we see Phillip Rivers at quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts. I'm going to leave it. Even though he's scuffled and he isn't what he was, I don't think that they play Jacoby Brissett in front of him. He's a game manager now. He's not going to throw the ball down the field. But they still have a great chance to win that division, even though he's bad and their defense has been great. But I'm going to leave it because I think Frank Reich will go with the fact that they appear to be winning. I, I think they have a good chance to win tonight's game. Also, take it or leave it, you don't like seeing Philip Rivers in a Colts uniform. I'll take that. It's just so disconcerting for me every time I see it. Yeah, but I'll bet you the Chargers are glad that he's in a Colts uniform. <laughs> Absolutely. Justin Herbert seems like the right call. 65780 is our Air Comfort Service text line. And Scotty, what do you got? From the 314, take it or leave it. The first day of the Masters is better than the first day of the college basketball tournament. In March Madness. I love the first day of the Masters, but the first day of the NCAA tournament is what sports is all about. I'm trying to think if there is a better first day in anything than there is the first day of the tournament. I can tell you this. I I don't remember many first days of the Masters. I remember Sundays of Masters. Of course. But I remember Mizzou getting knocked out by Norfolk State. I remember Georgetown losing to FGSU. I remember uh, the the shot by Bryce Drew for Mm -hmm. Valpo. I remember a lot of first day stuff from the NCAA tournament. And it's all day action. Yeah. It's buzzer beaters and and Cinderella's. And it's from the time you wake up until the time you go to bed. You, you're hoping for multiple screens that day. Mm-hmm. Nothing's better than that first day. Now, if you want to change this a little bit, I would say that Sunday at the Masters, the back nine at the Masters on Sunday, I think that's right there with the Monday of the NCAA championship. I, I, in fact, I would take the Masters. I would take the Masters, too. 
So if you turn it that way, the Masters is great. Usually more drama. Yeah, absolutely. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 636. Take it or leave it. Justin Falk has a 30-point season this year, assuming that we play all 82 games. I I would say that, yes, I'll take that. He will have the equivalent of a 30-point season. I'm going to take it because I want to project positivity. Yeah. He's had thirty, a lot of 30-point seasons. He could do it. Yeah. A lot of these guys would be, it, it, they would benefit a lot, Michelle, in terms of getting points if Vladimir Tarasenko were playing. That's true. <laughs> you know, it, he's an easy guy to assist on. Yeah. Driving by Enterprise Center the other day, they have the pictures of some mm-hmm. of the players on the side of Enterprise Center, and it was strange for me to not see Vladimir Tarasenko there, but I understand why he's not. You know, they, they don't know when he's projected to return. And it's just such a bummer that he's not there. It's going to be a big hole for them to fill. But the longer they go without games, the closer he gets to returning early in the season. But didn't we say that for the postseason, for the for the Stanley Cup playoffs? And he wasn't exactly. Yeah, but this is different. <laughs> yeah, sure. From the 636 sure. for Take It or Leave It, text in 65780 to the Air Comfort Service text line. From the 636, Take It or Leave It, Dylan Carlson is the only person on the no trade list for the Cardinals in any deal that they make. Leave it. Jack Flaherty is on that list, too. I was going to say there's probably two, and I would say Carlson and Flaherty. Is there anybody even on the next tier? I would think Goldie, because Goldie is your star. What about Jordan Hicks? I would have trouble moving him, but you do have other potential closers. Gallegos looks like he can do it. You've got Cody Whitley on the way. You've got a lot of right-handed relievers. For example, if I could get my way and trade for a power-hitting third baseman that was under reasonable control, if, if Arenado didn't have the contract that he had, I would not let Jordan Hicks be the reason that I didn't trade for a big bat. That's a, that's a great way to frame it. From the three and four, take it or leave it. Florida will not be in the SEC championship. Got to leave that. They're going to be. Florida, Bama. Yep, that's what I'm looking at. Yeah, me too. This one comes from the six three six. Take it or leave it. Tommy Edmond will be the future second baseman for the Cardinals for the next three plus years. Three plus years, huh? They don't really have middle infielders on the horizon in their organization. I think they only have a couple that a couple of middle infielders in their top thirty prospects. One of them is Sosa who's not, I think he might be older than uh, Edmund. And then they've got another one way down the line. So, no, I think Edmund's going to be here for a while. And you have him at cost? Yeah, that's key. Cost control is for the Cardinals. Huge. Thank you, Scotty. You got it. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Next up on 101 ESPN, might Tony Larusa have cost himself an opportunity to manage in the majors again? Michelle and I will bring that to you on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It's 8.05 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. The Masters was supposed to start a little over an hour ago. It has yet to do so. There's lightning in the area that was seen at 7.35 Eastern time. The course was evacuated and still no start time. And the weather does not look good. The radar doesn't look good for Augusta, Georgia. I don't know why, Randy, but I just thought about the conversation we had last Friday about vasectomies and how we suggested that if people were going to get that operation, that 
getting it done today or yesterday so they could relax. We're such jerks. <laughs> All weekend to watch the Masters would be a good play. And can you imagine if you did that and you're settling in and you're trying to relax and then you don't get to watch the Masters today? That'd be not great. Not great. So hopefully we can at least have it for you tomorrow. But right now they're in a weather delay down at Augusta National. We had Greg Amzinger on the show last hour, and obviously a hot topic here in St. Louis over the course of this week has been Tony Larusa. And Michelle, you had an interesting approach to asking Greg about Tony and the White Sox. Yes, so I have a lot of friends in Chicago. I went to Illinois, so most of the majority of my college friends live there. And they're split between White Sox fans and Cubs fans. And when Tony La Russa got hired to be the manager of the White Sox, I think our reaction here in St. Louis was kind of surprised that he would do that, but in no way denying that he's still capable of managing at an elite level, at a Hall of Fame level. Meanwhile, my friends in Chicago are despondent over this hire. They're reaching out to me saying, can you talk me off the ledge? Because I cannot believe that Jerry Reinsdorf and the Chicago White Sox would do this. Their thinking was this is a young, swaggy, vibrant team and they need a manager to match. And this was all before Tony La Russa was in the news for his DUI arrest. They were not pleased after that, let me tell you. It just compounded their feelings of anxiety and and being upset. But I asked Greg if Tony La Russa was going to be able to win over the White Sox clubhouse and the fan base. And this is what Greg had to say. To me, it's not... It's not set in stone that he's the manager. I know that the announcement, the press conference, all that stuff has already happened. But this DUI stuff, which which they knew about, the White Sox knew about uh, when they made the hire, the details have come out and they're very murky. So I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if, you know, much like Carlos Beltran never managed a game for the New York Mets, if this doesn't end up happening. So to your friends in Chicago who are worried that Tony La Russa should, like, maybe shouldn't be the manager – they might still get their wish. Right now, I would be surprised, Michelle, if Tony La Russa was the manager of the Chicago White Sox in 2021. I would be surprised. Wow. And that's from somebody in the know, talks to a lot of insiders at MLB Network, and Greg says he would be surprised if Tony ever managed a game for the White Sox. The follow-up question, obviously, would be, if it's not Tony, who is it? Because they missed mm-hmm. out on Hinch, they missed out on Cora, yep. two guys that have had recent success. That was one of their qualifications. Somebody who has had recent success, Tony's in his, the last game he managed was Game 7 of the World Series, at least. So that's recent success for him. Yeah. But if it's not Tony, I wonder who it is for them. Great question. And I think it's important when you look at a scenario to look at all vantage points. And I was short-sighted and only looking at, looking at it through the vantage point of Jerry Reinsdorf and the Chicago White Sox. It came out that the White Sox were aware of this DUI arrest before Tony La Russa accepted the job and that they said it's not going to impact his his position. He is secure in this. You know, wash your hands of it. Mm-hmm. It's okay. We're going to turn the page. But Greg, which we didn't hear, went on to explain, if you're Tony La Russa at this stage in your life and you realize that you're catching all of this heat from not only this DUI arrest, but you have members of the White Sox and Tim Anderson coming out and saying, hey, I'm not changing the way that I play or my bat flips or who I am for any manager. Already, even even though further on in the conversation, he says, we're going to talk. Hopefully we're all about winning, etc. But even providing any sort of 
ounce of public resistance to Tony La Russa and maybe his mentality. I didn't look at it from the Tony La Russa vantage point that if here I am, as he said, this Hall of Fame baseball person who had been pretty revered my entire life and I have nothing left to prove. I am a winner. I am one of the greatest of all time. Legit. Legit. I am a legit Hall of Famer baseball person. <laughs> Do I really want to have to sit in all of this consternation and all of this questioning about who I am and what I am capable of when I've already proven it 10 times over? At this stage in my life? Can you think of anybody in sports who likes a fight more than Tony Larusa? Yeah, do you have Molina? There you go. You got time for first. <laughs> yeah. I have a feeling that this will energize Tony, that this will be something that he'll want to fight and win because that's just his personality. Whether he's getting into it with other managers or getting into it with fans and saying, I'd like to manage against you, <laughs> I think that. Tony will actually embrace this, maybe not the DUI thing, but the fact that people think he can't do it and shouldn't do it and would not be good at it again. Mm-hmm. I think Tony LaRusa is the sort of personality that wants to prove those people wrong. That fire is always burning within him, that competitive fire. So you're telling me this is just logs on the fire? That's We're exactly stoking the what flame I'm here. Yeah, I could see it. He's not going to quit. Tony no, is not, he's not going a quitter. to quit. But I, I do wonder if he's sitting back right now thinking, what did I sign up for? Do I really want to deal with this? I don't think he's going to quit. I would be shocked if if Greg's proclamation here came true and Tony Lewis and the White Sox said, hey, you know what? This was fun for a bit, but we've decided it's not the best route. We're going to we're going to both go our separate ways. But JK, LOL on the manager thing. I, I would be shocked if that happened, but I do wonder if in a private moment, as competitive as he is, as much as he loves baseball, as ready as he was to come back and manage this young, exciting team and do it again and get back up on the top step of the dugout, this is a lot of heat that he's taking that he probably doesn't feel. I'm, I'm removing the DUI out of this mm-hmm. out of because he understands that he's going to take heat for that. It was a bad decision. But just initially when he's getting hired, it's a lot of heat that he probably didn't deserve or doesn't feel as if he deserves. So I wonder how he's thinking about this, if he's even an ounce of him regretting that decision. Let me throw something else out there for you. Okay. We heard from Tony that his heart never left the dugout. Where are the two places where Tony's heart resides? The dugout and at ARF. Yes. Baseball and being in a dugout is a great vehicle to raise money for ARF. I'm I'm of the opinion that one of the reasons Tony stuck around as long as he did here is because he had that ability to utilize the Cardinal manager's seat as a vehicle to help raise money for facilities in Walnut, California or saving dogs and cats. The White Sox managerial position will reinstall that vehicle for him. He told me that one of the reasons that he did three nights in August when he did was because he wanted to help build the new facility for for ARF. It wasn't interesting. That's why he didn't wait until the end of his career. It was because he wanted to help raise money for ARF. Well, there are always going to be challenges for ARF. And what better way to help raise money for that particular part of his life than by using the other part of his life where he can get autographed pictures and jerseys and when he has events he's got things to auction off so it's a beautiful marriage between his two passions it is i think that makes all the sense in the world for him and that to me aside from his personality which is just so rigid that is another reason why 
I disagree with Greg, and I think Tony will do everything he can to be in that dugout for as long as he can. And by the way, he needs to win. He does need to win. But Greg, as you mentioned, is someone in the know. He works for mm-hmm. MLB Network. He he is tied in and talks to a lot of people. And I don't think Greg is the type to just throw out takes no. willy-nilly. He wouldn't have said that unless someone in the know had mentioned it to him, which is why I think it's more of a shocking statement. Yeah. Here's my bottom line. If Tony Larusa does not manage the White Sox, it will not be by his choice. It'll be by somebody else's. But I don't think it'll be by Jerry Reinsdorf's choice, and those are the only two people making choices here. So that's why I disagree with Greg. Yeah. Because Tony is never going to admit defeat. And Jerry Reinsdorf has, and the White Sox have already come out and said, we were aware of this. He is secure. We're looking forward to him being the manager of the White Sox. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and that's today's Fresh Take on 101 ESPN. Next up, Mizzou not playing this weekend, but they aren't the only ones in their conference. Conference has problems. That's coming your way on Carriker and Smallman. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. All right, so I got to tell Michelle my secret here. <laughs> and you, know, you kids that are in high school, you can know this too. Find somebody in your institution that has complete belief in you. Michelle was asking how I was able to get through college without studying. And... What I had were two great general managers at KCLC, Emil Wilde, who worked at KMOX at the time, the late great Emil Wilde, and then Jim Wilson. And when I would have a sporting event that I wanted to cover, they would let me do it. They kind of let me handle my college career. So if I wanted to do a baseball game at 3 in the afternoon and there was a class, I could get out of the class by going and doing a game. And they had the belief that I was going to be what I am, a, a sportscaster. A legend. Yeah, I wouldn't go so far as legend. <laughs> I would. But they believed in me and basically agreed with the idea that going to a poetry class was going to do me no good in my <laughs> avocation in life. Or going to the Lindenwood Colloquium wasn't going to provide me any knowledge in my realm, which was going to be sports casting. And that's how I got by basically without studying. Is this a conversation you had to have with them prior? No, hey, it, this was, is my path. it was almost a given. Really? Yeah, it so was kind of weird. They saw that you had the gift. I, I hope so, because if I'm not doing this, there's... You don't see me right now. Yeah, it's the same thing over uh, at Lindenwood. When I was there, Randy, I just said, hey, I got a game. Uh, Lindenwood baseball is playing at 1 o'clock. I got a 1 o'clock art class. You know what? Can you just send an email to my teacher and say, hey, I have to call this game because we have to have the game on the radio? And it worked every time. Wow. But I guess if you had something that you had to do that was directly impacting your major, they would understand. And that directly impacted my major. But I don't know how that that you know brushes out the line of you studying because at some maybe you could skip class to call games here and there but at some point you have other classes you don't just have a class i don't think that they were advocating me not studying it's just how i got through and when i started my internships i was an intern at channel two at fox two it wasn't fox two at the time we were an abc affiliate Mm. but then i did multiple internships at kmox and I aced those, so those were all A-A-A-A-A. So I started my internships with a below three GPA and wound up with a plus three because of all the good grades I got from internships. So what you're telling me is you weren't a regular at the library. 
I went there once. One time. Yeah. Wow. It was a beautiful place. But to be honest with you, I've been at the new library, which was opened about three years ago, more than I was at the library when I was at school. Man, that was not my college experience. I had to study all the time. But I was a commuter also. So it was different for me. I lived at home, and so I, I could go home and study. You could study at home? Oh, yeah. You wouldn't be distracted? See, I, I would be distracted. See, if I would have studied, then I would have studied at home. And you just <laughs> if, did it. If I go to a library, I feel that's way more distracting. I got my friends around. I got different things to do. I go, yeah, what am I doing here, really? That's why... At Illinois, the underground library is a central library. And when I went to school there, everyone called it Club UGL because it was where everybody was CNBC. And so I, <laughs> hot tip UGL. to all the Illinois people listening, I don't know if this is still the play. It's been a while, guys. I used to go to the engineering library, which was in a different part of campus and was more remote. Not a lot of people so you there. Concentrate so on I could study. actually study. But I should have taken the route that you guys took and said, hey, can I do something else? <laughs> Guys, there have been four SEC games postponed for this weekend. Auburn and Mississippi State, Texas A&M, Tennessee, Alabama, LSU, and unfortunately, Georgia at Missouri. So Mizzou had the opportunity to host Alabama, LSU, and Georgia this year. I don't know who CBS is going to pick for their game this weekend from the SEC, but the games that you have that right now are planning on being played, Vandy and Kentucky, You've got 0-5 versus 2-4. and 4. Arkansas and Florida, you've got 3-3 three and three versus 4-1. and one. You've got South Carolina and Ole Miss, 2-4 yeah, and four versus 2-4 and four and not great. And all the other games are postponed. Heather Dinich of ESPN talks about what schools like Mizzou can do because they've already lost their game against Vanderbilt. They have to make that up, and now they have to make up this game against Georgia. No, there have been no conversations about that. I would be surprised. It's not impossible, but it would be a Herculean task. And finding a TV window, as you know, during NFL playoffs would be extremely difficult. So you're looking at status quo, January 11th, um, Miami Gardens, and that's the national championship for now. And that's talking about moving the championship back and having to move the SEC championship back because they would make up games on December 19th. The SEC, before the season started, left that window of December 12th open for one makeup game for each team. Right now, December 19th is scheduled to be the SEC championship game. And as she said, would they move that back so that they can make up more games? And the answer is no. I just, I wonder if this is happening right now, if we're heading into this weekend and you already have four games and four games with some pretty important matchups in them that are getting postponed if we can realistically say that this isn't going to happen in another week with other teams and this isn't going to continue to spiral. So I think as Greg Sankey, the commissioner of the SEC, said, while we're still targeting January 1st, we have got to be flexible because I don't know if that's going to be realistic for them to actually hit that date and if they're going to be able to get a real sense of some of the teams that they want to have in the playoff. I think they could pick the teams that they want in the playoff right now. Okay, go. You've got Clemson, you've got Ohio State, you've got Alabama, and you've got Notre Dame. Even though you haven't had a real great sample size of Ohio State? Doesn't matter. The re- and it was pointed out by Paul Feinbaum this morning that the reason the Big Ten is playing is so that they could uh, assuage the anger, smooth over the anger of Ohio State because they thought they had a chance to win it all. So, yeah, Ohio State, all due respect to Indiana, Ohio State has to be in your Final Four. Regardless of how many games they've played. Regardless of other programs, maybe a Cincinnati who feels like they have a... Comp- yeah, I know. They're, I know. I'm just asking. No, Cincinnati, 
and BYU will never have a chance. Cincinnati and BYU in a regular season without COVID, they can go 12-0, and and they aren't in the Power Five. Mm-hmm. This thing is owned by the Power Five, and they are going to share money with Group of Five teams. They have to give a Group of Five team a bowl game, but they are going to give those guys a sniff of the Final Four because they don't want to give up that money. Speaking of money, follow the money. The four that you just picked will probably generate the most eyeballs mm-hmm. and the most ratings and the most revenue. We could pick them before the season very easily. We don't need to play a game, Michelle. And we could just we could have gone with no games in September, October, November, December, and just decided to start playing our final four on January one. And ESPN is going to pay that nine hundred billion dollars or whatever, and they'd be very happy with those teams, whether they played a game or not. The viewers would be very happy with those teams, and we know those teams are going to be great anyway. Especially coming off of Notre Dame, Clemson, and what mm-hmm. a great game that was, and knowing that you're going to add Trevor Lawrence back yeah. into that next viewing experience. Alabama, you always went in there, mm-hmm. and they deserve to be in there. Probably the best, arguably the best team in the country. Notre Dame, Clemson, and then I don't know. There will certainly be people that are going to push back on Ohio State because of the way that the schedule has unfolded. But at the end of the day, don't you think that they're probably the best team to put in there from a competitive standpoint? I do. By the way, I don't think we would have put Notre Dame in at the beginning of the season. It probably would have been Georgia, right? Correct. But Notre Dame has worked their way in. But you would have had another SEC team, probably Georgia or Florida, and most likely Georgia at the beginning of the year. Meanwhile, the SEC is starting to worry about their players getting out. Paul Feinbaum. There's a lot of frustration inside the SEC about player behavior. What I mean by that is at this point in the season, we're mid-November, players are getting tired of following protocols. Halloween was a week and a half ago, and a lot of people think maybe that was one of the, the super spreaders that caused these issues. It's hard. to Go ahead. Oh, wait, you're telling me that young college age kids are frustrated that you're mandating that they stay inside their rooms and don't socialize with each other and don't party and that they're bucking what you're telling them to do and they're partying on Halloween. And that's why we're seeing an uptick in COVID cases. I am shocked. No one could have predicted this before the season. Yeah, you would have never seen that coming with Halloween. Never. Never in a million years would I imagine that college-age kids would party on Halloween regardless of a pandemic. Never. So here we are. And by the way, Notre Dame canceled this weekend, too, which doesn't help. And Maryland is the culprit there. Maryland has eight players testing positive for COVID-19. And they still have their game against Indiana. Ohio State does on the 21st. Illinois on the 28th, I-L-L-I-N-I. At Michigan State on December 5th and then December 12th against Michigan. Do you think that if players are already feeling this fatigue, this mandate fatigue, if you will, or this restriction fatigue now that it's only going to continue to escalate? Or do you think if you're one of these programs that you know has a shot that the coach has a real come to Jesus moment with them and says, hey, I know that some of you guys are out having fun. And while I don't approve of it, now is the time to lock it down. If you want a championship or at least you want a shot at a championship, we've got to make sure that everybody is healthy. But the problem isn't those teams. The problem is the Marylands of the world, the Mizzou's of the world, the teams that those teams are playing against. The teams with the shot seem to be actually doing pretty well. It's the teams that don't have a shot where players are bored and saying, okay, well, we're not going anywhere. I can go out to the bar. I think that's. (laughs) 
that's the issue. That's true. But if, if at least if you're those teams and you can continue to stay healthy, you, if you're college football as an entity and you know that those four teams that you have identified to be in the playoff are protected, that's your end goal. Which is unfortunate, but we're following no, the money here. It, right. At the end of the day, those five teams that we listed, the four now are Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, Ohio State. Get those four to the finish line in your college football and you're golden. And then hopefully by the time you start training camp next year, uh, Pfizer has their vaccine and everybody's taken it. And you're able to have a season where you put 100,000 people in at Ohio State and you, you put 105,000 in at Michigan and you, you do your thing. But this year, all you want to do is get the ESPN money for the playoff and maybe some bowl games, too. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, we've got the fight on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of Morning Drive. Please welcome Randy Character. Welcome back to Character and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. It's time for the fight. Let's bring in Randy's challenger today. Alex is with us. Good morning, Alex. Hey, good morning, Michelle. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. How are you this? I almost said this Friday. What a bummer that it's Thursday. I thought it was Friday in my mind. (sighs) Thanks for bringing me down, Michelle. Yeah, sorry to bum you out, Alex. One more day to go. I'm good. I'm good. I just made the drive from St. Louis to Lynn, Missouri. And I was just thinking about beating Randy up in the fight the whole time. Wow. You were visualizing it, huh? I was. I was. Why, why'd you make that drive? For work? Uh, yeah, for work. Okay. Well, I love that you have been this laser focused on beating Randy. Let's hope you can manifest your vision, okay? We'll see. <laughs> All right, Alex. Question number one. Who was the last Cardinal to win a Cy Young Award? Was it Chris Carpenter, Adam Wainwright, or John Lackey? I'm going to go with Carp. All right, question number two, Alex. Who was the last running back to win the NL MVP award? NFL. Excuse me. <laughs> Thank you, Michelle. <laughs> Who was the last running back to win the NFL MVP <laughs> award? Uh, is it Adrian Peterson, LaDainian Tomlinson, or Sean Alexander? Ooh, that's a tough one. I think I'm going to go with Sean Alexander. Sorry, Scotty had to jump in there so we don't have justice for Alex. Oh, no, I appreciate it. <laughs> Trust me. Even when it's right in front of you, you can still mess it up. (laughs) For sure. I do it every day. Okay, Alex, question number three. Who has the record for the most wins at the Masters? Is it Tiger Woods? Is it Jack Nicklaus? Or is it Arnold Palmer? Hmm. I think I'm going to go with Jack. Question number four, Alex. Since the Cardinals won the the World Series back in 2006, how many times have they missed the playoffs? Six times, seven times, or eight times? Six. All right. We're checking our score, and we're bringing Randy in. There are few things as delicious and refreshing as an Arnold Palmer. I used to buy those cans of Arnold Palmer. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like the uh, two, the gallon. I, I don't like pouring that in. It's not as good. But if you buy the individual cans, ooh, 
Those are amazing. See, I like to mix it myself. I like my own percentage. Really? Yeah, I like heavy iced tea splash of lemonade. Still refreshing. Randy is in the studio. Randy, please say good morning to Alex. Hi, Alex. How are you doing this morning? Good, Randy. Just wanted to say, Michelle said you're a legend. It's true. You really are a legend. That's very nice of you to say. I appreciate that. You're very kind. And he says that, Randy, as he was visualizing beating you in the fight during his drive today for work. Visualization Mm -hmm. is important. It's It's a good thing to do. You have to visualize it and then manifest it. And let me tell you, Alex did pretty good, Randy. Good. I can't reveal how great he did, but he did pretty good. Okay. All right, Randy, question number one for you. Mm -hmm. Who was the last St. Louis Cardinal to win a Cy Young Award? The last Cardinal to win a Cy Young Award, I believe, would have been Chris Carpenter. Question number two, Randy. Who was the last running back to win the NFL (laughs) MVP award? I think you're probably looking 2012-ish at Adrian Peterson. Randy, who has the record for the most wins at the Masters? Six for Jack Nicklaus. And final question, Randy. Since the Cardinals won the World Series back in 2006, how many times have they missed the playoffs? Well, let's see. They missed in 07. They missed in 08. They missed in 10. Then they made it in 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. And then they missed in 16, 17, 18, made in 19 and 20. So I'm going to go with six. What a fight. But we have a winner. Go crazy, folks. We have a winner and still champion, Randy Carricker. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs. Heck of a fight, Alex. You almost had him. Randy beat you four to three. So close. I think it was the Adrian Peterson question. You, you are right, Alex. That's where he got yeah. you. So here's the answers. Qu- question number one. Baseball Jesus, a.k.a. Chris Carpenter, <laughs> was the last St. Louis Cardinal to win a Cy Young Award back in 2005. As you just heard Alex say, the last running back to win the NFL MVP award was Adrian Peterson back in 2012. Randy, Alex chose Sean Alexander on the list. That would have been a, a good call. Good good guess if you're going. All right. uh, The record for most wins at the Masters is Jack Nicklaus. He won it six times in 1963, 1965, 66, 72, 75, and 1980. And since the Cardinals won the 2006 World Series, they have missed the playoffs six times. As Randy said, 07, 08, 10, 16, 17, and 18. Alex, great fight. Thank you so much for playing. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. Thank you very much. That Al, that is Alex on 101 ESPN. And coming up, we've got NFL news and notes on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> All right, NFL news and notes, and we're going to start with this because this is going to be a huge story throughout the course of this day and probably throughout the course of the rest of this and many weeks to come, Michelle. Brian Flores, head coach of the Dolphins, saying, if it was up to me, I would go with the old uniforms. Which is the best take of all time. Mm -hmm. They are one of the best uniforms in NFL history, the old Dolphins uniforms. Somebody called them elite, and I agree. They are elite. They are elite. We're talking Marino-era Dolphins uniforms, or are we talking 72 Dolphins? We're talking Marino-era. Okay, those are the ones. I love yeah. the teal. I love the Dolphin that they used. It's perfect. 
And I believe they're wearing them this weekend, if they I'm not are. mistaken. They are. So that's what Brian Flores was referring to. So he is on the right side of history here. Thank you, Brian, for that take on Hot Take Thursday. And it's not even a hot take. It's the correct take. Correct take. No doubt about yeah. it. Brett Favre, speaking of hot takes, is back in the news. He's got a show on Sirius XM. And here's what he said about the Eagles quarterback situation. I actually thought that they should have kept Nick Foles rather than Carson Wentz just based off of production and where they got to. You know, they won a Super Bowl with Foles, and that was a little bit surprising. But they're obviously banking on his upside. How many more years do you you let it linger before you you stick with him or you cut bait? Uh, That's a question they only can answer. But I know Doug, uh, of course, we were together for a long time. He's, he's a very simple coach. He's going to put you in the best possible opportunity to succeed. He's not going to complicate things. So I know it's not Doug. So I'm going to write it off as too many injuries uh, right now. Respect Brett Favre. Understand that he's a quarterback and he's going to have a better viewpoint than probably I will on quarterback play. However, I'm curious if Brett Favre has watched Nick Foles play anywhere outside of Philadelphia and that miraculous St. Nick run because the entire body of work, Randy, hasn't been great. It's actually been pretty bad. When you look at what happened here, when you look at what happened in Jacksonville, he didn't really play in Kansas City. And now you look at what has happened in Chicago. He has not been good. And it's 2020 hindsight to say they should have kept Nick Foles because they did trade up for Carson Wentz to get him with the second pick in the draft. He did. If he doesn't get hurt in that rookie year or his first year starting, he would have been the MVP of the league. And it's reasonable to expect that he's going to be able to bounce back from injury. But That was the guy that you had invested in, and you evaluated him as a starter over Nick Foles when Foles was 29 and Wentz was 22. Right. So it was reasonable to expect that for long term, he was going to be your guy. Doug Peterson was asked about Brett Favre's comments, and I think what he said echoes what you're saying. He said, Carson's our guy. Carson's our draft pick. Carson's the guy that's going to carry us and lead this football team. Everybody's entitled to our opinion, and he goes on to say, Carson's our guy. Bottom line, end of story. And despite what Nick Foles gave you, and it was a magical run, and he he showed you several times that he he did it he did it on the highest stage, but everybody knew that the carriage would turn back into a pumpkin yes. at some point. We knew that this play that he had was miraculous, but it was the outlier. That was the outlier. And as you mentioned, Carson Wentz had showed you a lot of promise before the injury, and so I I don't think anybody, even with hindsight being twenty twenty, in that moment would have made that decision differently. And I think we also need to lend a little perspective here. The most famous play that Nick Foles made was catching a pass. <laughs> the Philly special. <laughs> yeah. So while he was great in leading them to the victory, it wasn't because well, he, he did throw the ball very well, but the most famous, the most memorable play that he made as a member of the Eagles was catching a pass, not throwing one. Good game tonight, Thursday Night Football here on 101 ESPN. We've got the pregame at 7 o'clock, and you've got the 6-2 and two Titans against the 5-3 and three Colts in a battle for the AFC South lead and the only two good teams in the AFC South. I'm intrigued by this, a couple of number 17 quarterbacks, and Indy coming off a, a bad loss. They mm-hmm. need to bounce back, and obviously... The Titans could put themselves some distance between themselves and the rest of the division with a victory tonight. 
I asked you during Teoli if you thought this may be Phillip Rivers' last shot with the Colts. He had a couple of impressive performances at the beginning of the season. Then he's kind of scuffled. I had been reading that after that Browns game, people were calling for Jacoby Brissett. And I don't know if the Colts will make that move after today, but I do wonder if he underperforms again how long that they're going to roll with Phillip Rivers. I know that the analyst for Colts games is not particularly fond of the way that Rivers is playing. Oh, and I trust his opinion. Yeah. So he's pretty good at watching a football game and seeing what's working and what's not. And by the way, that Colts defense is sensational. Yes, they are. Darius Leonard got hurt for a little while last week, but he was able to get back in the game. I said earlier in our FanDuel spot, I believe that they'll go under here because both defenses are good. And even though the Tennessee offense and Derrick Henry specifically can do some great things, I don't think Indy is going to score a lot. Um, so the analyst you were referencing, of course, is the great Rick Venturi, yes, who used to uh-huh. be here in St. Louis and on 101 ESPN. Does he advocate for Jacoby Brissett? Not yet. Not yet. Okay. No. But I think at some point, you have to be able to stretch the field. And Rivers, at this stage of his career, he is kind of like Drew Brees. He just can't stretch the field. He can't throw the ball as far as he used to. And that's really hurting them. All right. Coming up, we're at midseason. Uh, midseason prediction for MVP, I think... Right now, when you look at what Mahomes has done over the course of the last couple of weeks, it's got to be Mahomes, right? Don't you think Mahomes is already in the LeBron category mm-hmm. where it's he's so spectacular and so dominant all the time that we're almost numb to it? It's almost an expectation for us where we do, when we think of MB, MVPs, we talk about Russell Wilson cooking in Seattle. We talked about Aaron Rodgers. People talked about Big Ben. It's almost like Patrick Mahomes, despite everything he's doing and despite coming off the Super Bowl win and MVP, is being lost in the conversation. But yes, I would give it to Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, it's, it's a curse sometimes to be as great as he or LeBron is, but I don't think there's any doubt. And I believe for the next several years, it's going to be one of those situations like LeBron where we're looking for the other MVP. Mm-hmm. We're going to go into a season saying, okay, we know that the best player is going to be Patrick Mahomes, but who can we pick as MVP? Because we know he's going to be the best, but somebody else has to win it sometime. Which is so dumb. It is. If he's the most dominant player, give him the award for 10 years straight. I don't care. If he earns it, give it to him. I don't care if it's redundant. Then somebody else should play better. If you don't like it, play better. <laughs> that sounds good. David Johnson of the Texans out for Sunday's game uh, for Houston. And that's a disappointing team, even though they made the horrible trades during the offseason. And now, obviously, they've got Romeo Crennel leading the way. I'm interested to see what Houston does for a head coach and a general manager. Is there someone you have in mind? Well, I I said when it happened, when they fired Bill O'Brien, that I would offer Dabo Sweeney the Gruden contract, and I still would. That's where I would start. But Eric Biennemi fits their personnel with what he's done with Mahomes and all those speedy receivers. You've got Will Fuller. You've got Brandon Cooks. Uh, you, you made the move for Randall Cobb during the offseason. You've, you've got some good, fast receivers. You've got a running back that can do some things. You've got a really good left tackle. Eric Bieniemy could be a poor man's Kansas City mm-hmm. in Houston. If you're Dabo Swinney's agent... I'm, I'm imagining you're fielding all sorts of phone calls, whether it's from Houston, Atlanta, New York, a lot of people mm-hmm. blowing you up to gauge your interest. However, we know that Dabo is locked in right now to the season. Yeah. He's got another team that has a very good chance of winning a national championship. Do you float these ideas his way? If you're the agent during the season, 
as a potential distraction for him, or do you wait until after the confetti has fallen, whether Clemson is the winner or not, and then say, hey, by the way, here are your options if you choose to go? I'm waiting until the end of the regular season, maybe even after the ACC championship game. You have plenty of time between then and a potential Final Four matchup that you can talk about it. But I, I'm not going to put that on him during the regular season. How about you? I'm not. especially Nothing that he's going to do or not do in the next few weeks is going to change the desire of these teams to bring him in and offer him the Brinks truck to be no. the head of their program. But I'm with you. I would not want to distract him. And I'm sure he probably doesn't want to think about that right now. He probably wants to stay focused on his guys and the tough task that he has at hand. But... I'm sure that would be an interesting conversation if you're him to have at some point and say, oh, okay, this team wants to offer me what? How many tens yep. of millions of dollars? Oh, okay, I'll consider it. I wonder if he, if there's certain teams he doesn't even have to hear the number and he's like, no, nah, I'm out. Maybe the Jets. Maybe the Jets. And it's interesting you bring that up because I, I was wondering if the agent just flies into Clemson one day. I guess you can't fly into Clemson. You have to go somewhere and drive for a couple hours. <laughs> but does he just stick his head in Dabo's office and say, hey, are you just locked in here? Should I even bother listening to other offers? Because yeah. I'm not. I'll tell people no if you're not going anywhere because it's not worth it for us to waste our time or to waste their time. I would always want to listen just in case, and I always think it's important to listen to have that in your back pocket if you ever need to get more money or something out of someone at Clemson. And not as if they don't know mm-hmm. how coveted he is and that he could walk at any time, but it would be nice to say, hey, if you if there's any sort of, of minuscule issue at some point, he says, hey, do you know the Texans offered me the John Gruden deal? That sounds pretty appealing. Oh, and I know a guy there that I can yeah. have success with. By the way, Clemson off this week, then they play November 21st, November 28th. The regular season finale is December 5th, and then the ACC championship game, December 12th. So you have plenty of time in those couple of weeks where NFL teams will be really going after a new head coach and putting the money on the table. So there's plenty of time. Dabo doesn't need to know anything right now. Those are your NFL news and notes on 101 ESPN with Michelle and Randy. Coming up, today's big thing. Would the Cardinals even go $20 million for Francisco Lindor in 2021? That's coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. 902 and 3, 2, 1, woof. 902, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler, Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, and Michelle. On Saturday, day after tomorrow, we wish a happy birthday to Francisco Lindor. Oh, happy Francisco, early birthday. Francisco, that's fun to say. Happy early birthday. He's going to be 27 years old. 27. Mm-hmm. During his career, his 162 game averages, and he's played all of his career with the Cleveland Indians. He has averaged 29 homers, 86 RBIs, 21 stolen bases, and an 833 OPS during the course of his career. That's his 162 game average. Obviously, a great, great player. If the Cardinals would get him, he would be their best player. But if the Cardinals do pursue him, there are a couple of things that come into play. You are not, I can say definitively, not going to have him beyond 2021. Because he's going to command 30 to $35 million for a 10 or 12-year contract at the age of 27. Why wouldn't you give him that contract if you're a team with a ton of money? Somebody will. And somebody also 
when he gets traded this offseason, is going to give up some premium prospects for him. I don't think the Cardinals are in a position to give up a premium prospect from where they have premium prospects. And where the, the Indians, look at it from Cleveland's Mike Chernoff's perspective. He's got three of his top eight prospects as shortstops. One who has an ETA, Tyler Freeman, of this coming season. So he's going to plug in a shortstop. What he needs is power production from the outfield, and he needs bullpen arms. So what he's looking at is a Dylan Carlson-type player. And by the way, they can use a catcher that can hit, too. Mm -hmm. So he might be looking at an Andrew Kisner. And you'd think that they would be looking at a Hicks or a Whitley, a big-time power arm at the back end of the bullpen. If I'm Cleveland, that's what I'm asking for. And if the Cardinals... If I'm the Cardinals, I obviously say no. But if you're the Cardinals, do you even start the conversation with the knowledge that Lindor is due $19.5 million approximately in 2021? If I'm the Cardinals, yes. I do start that conversation. Even though it's a big check to write, I would like to start that conversation and see what is required on both sides. So what you're going to do then, because this is what you're going to do, you're going to give up those prospects, and maybe it's not O'Neal. Let's or uh, or it's not going to be Carlson. Carlson. We know that. So let's throw Nolan Gorman okay. into the mix for them and say it's Gorman and Whitley and Kisner and another prospect. So you're giving up those four plus you're giving up Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright mm-hmm. because you know with that $19.5 million spent that you can't bring those guys back. Yeah, that's the transfer of funds, right? Mm-hmm. If, if you're moving on from Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright, there's the money that you would need for Lindor. What about this, Randy? What if you could somehow, because we know, we know that Dylan Carlson's off the table. And it's going to have to be beneficial for both sides. So Gorman, I think, is a good place to start. You're probably going to have to throw a pitcher in there. What about Carlos Martinez maybe in the mix? The Indians have no need for nor the bankroll for Carlos Martinez. They don't want to spend the $10 million a year. And they've got five starters right now that are better than him. So Gorman... six. Yeah, that's true. Okay, so Gorman, Kisner, we would say, are one in two places to start. And you're probably looking Jordan Hicks. Yeah, I don't think they'd do that. Because he's such a weapon for them. I can't imagine that they would be willing to part with him. But you're giving up an elite player if you're Cleveland, and you're Mm going to get significant offers from somebody else. If you're the Indians and the Mets are coming after him, and you can get... Brandon Nimmo and J.D. Davis and Dom Smith and a pitching prospect, then I I would think that you'd have to look for the offer that fills your needs better. Yes. I'm trying to think of other other people that I could see the Cardinals being willing to put on the table because even though they'd be upset to part with Gorman, Mm -hmm. I could see them doing it. Kisner, I... We know Herrera is coming down the pipeline, and there's other options out there in free agency that you could do to plug that hole for now. There's got to be another one that I feel like the Cardinals wouldn't be at the cringe point. There's got to be another player that, or is there another well, player that the Indians would find desirable that the Cardinals wouldn't wince to give up in that the deal? Thing. Bill DeWitt the third calls it their puke point. Do you want to even reach a puke point? For a guy that, like I said, would be the best player on your team, but doesn't really fit what you need. What you need is a slugger 
that is either a third baseman or a corner outfielder. You can move DeYoung to third base, but is Lindor that number four hitter that you're looking for? I don't think so. I think that you need to focus on getting that bat that's capable of being your cleanup hitter. And it's fun to talk about this, but are they really going to give up prospects, spend money for a guy who they know they're not going to retain control of for right. a long time in, an, in a season when they don't know about their financial projections and when they've already said they're going to lean towards a youth movement and evaluate their own prospects internally? That's the big key, too. John Mozalak very specifically said, we need to make sure that what happened with Randy Rosarena never happens with the Cardinals again. So I think even more than normal this season, they're going to make sure that they're evaluating the guys that they have internally before they deal them elsewhere. And I get a lot of social media posts from people that are angry about the fact that the Cardinals don't have Sandy Alcantara and Zach Gallen right now from the Ozuna trade. And they made that deal with the thought that they might be able to re-sign Ozuna. So are you going to give up prospects? You've already given up those guys. You've given up a Rosarena. Are you going to put your fan base in a situation where they have to watch more of your young players blossoming in exchange for a guy that you don't have anymore? And by the way, it does prevent you from being what you want to be in 2022 as well. Because Kisner is part, Herrera isn't a part of 2022. Kisner is. Hicks and Whitley are part of 2022. Uh, At the moment, you don't have a lot of power arms that are, unless you want, uh, unless you're thrilled with Junior Fernandez, you, you don't have a lot of guys that are ready to assume those roles that those players would have in 2022. And at the end of the day, If I'm in the Indians' shoes, I don't trade Francisco Lindor without getting a stud outfielder out of it. I just don't because I know I can. If if I can get it from the Mets or the Yankees, if I can get Hicks, Frazier, one of those guys, why would I make a deal with the Cardinals where I don't get a premium outfield prospect? And the only one you'd put in that conversation is Dylan Carlson. Carlson. And they're going to say no. Right. So. But what about that other? They had that other premium outfield oh, prospect. yeah. What was his name? Randy. I think the same, the first we saw him on social media, right? Oh, yeah. People were singing about him. That's what it was. Man. Uh, Rose Arena. <sighs> so, so much of our conversations about the future of this team are colored through the Randy Rose Arena lens mm-hmm. now, which is so unfortunate. Yeah. It, it's weird. As I look around... So I look at free agency, and I look at the trade market. And I just look at players. I don't see the perfect Cardinal out there. I don't either. I I just don't think that the guy that they need, a third baseman or an outfielder that is a big OPS guy that could hit fourth for you, and you can count on him hitting doubles and hitting the ball out of the ballpark, I don't see that player out there, which is kind of troubling because Randy kind of is that player. And think about last offseason. We all had our sights set on Nolan Arenado. And even though a lot of the fan base was disenchanted with the Cardinals coming off their stale offense in the NLCS, people wanted to talk about Nolan Arenado and ways that the club could improve. There was a guy to set your sights on, even if it felt unrealistic, that you knew if you could plug into this equation, he might be part of the solution. Mm -hmm. Whereas now, we're talking about a Jack Peterson. We're talking about this guy, that guy. That is certainly a band-aid at times, but it's not part of the solution moving forward. It goes back to what we talked about last week. 
the future is going to be dependent on the Cardinals doing proper evaluation of their own guys. We can't worry about the past. We really can't worry about the present because it is what it is. The Cardinals need to replace about a half dozen guys from their organization that they've lost. Jeff Luno, Mike Elias, Seg Madal, uh, Dan Kantrovitz, uh, Chris Correa. Mm -hmm. A lot of brain drain in the last seven years from the Cardinals. Great evaluation people. Let's throw Mark D. John in there from their minor league system who just retired. You've got a lot of real high-quality baseball people that aren't in the organization right now that were the reason that the Cardinals evaluated so well. That's where the Cardinals need to work the hardest is getting back to where they were from an evaluation standpoint. And we can't worry about the past anymore. This is all about the future. I'm sure that this is not even relatively on the table. But if I told you that Jeff Lunau wanted to come back to St. Louis, despite everything that happened, despite the lawsuit, knowing what he's capable of doing, knowing what he did for the Cardinals organization, would you be interested? You know what? I would have a week and a half ago. Prior to the lawsuit? Yep. But that lawsuit changes everything for everybody in baseball. I can't do that if if I'm the Cardinals. But... You have to bring him back in the right role, too. You can't make him your general manager. No. You have to bring him back in an evaluation role, in a minor league evaluation role, and he is a good evaluator, and he understands the process, but I think that he screwed himself with the lawsuit in terms of getting back into baseball. I also don't think that he's the personality type to want to take any sort of a submissive role. I don't think he's going to go into an organization and not want power and control and decision-making authority. But I think the best thing for him is to go be a soccer GM because that's not happening in baseball. For him to get back to the seat that he wants, he would have to take a subservient role somewhere. And can you imagine him doing that? No, I I can't. But he, well, I'm not going to say he handled it well here. (laughs) <laughs> he really didn't, so I, I can't say that. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and this is Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. And we always enjoy this time of the day. It's time for... You're killing me, Smalls. All right, Randy, we know that Alex Cora was hired back with the Boston Red Sox. We know that he... Had to take some time away from the game, if you will, because of his involvement in the cheating scandal that we know rocked Major League Baseball. But during his presser, we saw a very contrite and open Alex Cora. He opened off his presser talking about his punishment and saying, hey, I I reaped what I sowed. It's been a tough year to spend time with you guys. It was amazing this year. But like I've been saying all along, I was spending time at home for the wrong reasons. And for that, uh, I want to apologize I deserve what happened this year. It was something that is something that I'm not proud of it. But, you know, we went through the whole process with the commissioner's office, office, the Department of Investigations. And at the end, I got my penalty and I serve it. He continued on, Randy, apologizing to several different groups of people, including fans who he really acknowledged felt this cheating scandal in various ways. For the base, for base, to baseball, the baseball fans, you know, I'm here. You know, I was humble by this whole situation. Uh, I learned a lot throughout the year. And uh, a lot of people were saying that, okay, you spend time with your family. That was good. But like I said before, it was great for them. It was great for me. But I was there for the wrong reasons. I'm not proud of that. And uh, I want to make sure everybody knows that this situation 
is part of who I am, you know, for the rest of my career. As a man, I have to deal with it. I don't want people to make it seem like it's a great comeback story. I don't want that. I'm actually going to use this bad experience to make people better, starting at home with Xander, Isander, and Camila. You know, the process started early in the year, and we're going to keep continuing. I know there's a lot of people that I disappointed, and for that I'm sorry. And also telling those people that, hey, I'm still Alex. I made a mistake. I still love the game. I still love what I do. And I promise you that from, you know, now on, you know, I'm going to use this experience the right way. I'm not proud of it. I'm not happy about it. But we have to move on. Are you buying it, Randy? I am. And Jim Crane and the Astros players and Jeff Luno all could have taken a cue if they would have talked to Alex Cora first. He was contrite. He owned it. And he apologized. And I'm completely on board with what he said. I wish everybody involved in this situation would have been like Alex Cora was. I agree. I thought he handled it impeccably. He went up there. He said, listen. I was at home. I'm not proud of what I did, but I deserved it. I And I thought it was very important that he acknowledged the fans of baseball mm-hmm. because you you really upset a lot of people. And a lot of the reason that sports exists is because of fan bases, is because of the people who come through the turnstiles and they give you your, their, their money to you and they help fund this thing. And when you're a baseball fan and you feel as if you have poured your time, your money, your energy, your love and your support into this sport and into various teams and you feel cheated, it's important that you get acknowledged as well. And it's important, at least from my perspective, that he understands that this is a stain on the rest of his career, that this is going to stick with him and it's not going to go away. Do you think there's anything he could do to make people forget about this? Or is it always going to be something that's brought up? In Boston, I don't think it'll be a big deal, especially if he wins again. I, I would guess that because of his contrition, the further we get away from it, the less it'll be something for him to deal with. I think it'll be more with the Houston players who never really apologized. Yeah, I mean, this is Boston, Randy. Yeah. They've dealt with Spygate. They've dealt with the Fleetgate. This yeah, is just another one. Their 2004 team was all juiced up. Yeah. So yeah, they, they can handle it. Seems pretty on brand for them. Totally. <laughs> he's he's Boston. You're killing me, Smalls. Okay, Randy, it took a while to to make this happen because it is 2020, it is a pandemic, and the Masters did have to be pushed back to November. But the Masters Champions Dinner was on. Tiger Woods, the defending champ, as you know, gets to pick the menu. This is such a cool tradition. So much of the Masters is amazing. I, I love the green jacket. I love how seeped it is in tradition. But since 1952, the gr- current green jacket holder gets to plan a meal before the event. And so Tiger Woods, as we know, being a California native, he got to pick, uh, well, he gets to pick whatever he wants, but whatever he wants, but the winners usually pick things that are indigenous to where they're from and really holds a special place in their heart. So here's what Tiger Woods picked. He picked some sushi called the Augusta Roll. It's tempura shrimp, spicy tuna, avocado, eel sauce, tempura flakes on the top, some pickled ginger, wasabi, and soy sauce. Then you get prime steak and chicken fajitas with all the fixins on there, a dessert trio with a flan, churros with chocolate sauce, and sopapillas. And then, of course, being from California, you have to have some beautiful wines in the mix. And he had a great Chardonnay and a Cabernet Sauvignon, Randy. So a white and a red for his guests there. Great call. And this is the fifth time he's done this. And he's had various in 
carnations of his menu, but he does a really good job every time. It's He's never had a menu where I would say, yeah, I don't want that. I was reading the list of former champions mm-hmm. dinners, and there really isn't any that you think, eh, I don't no. want that. People pick it out well. They yeah. do a good job. They, they take a lot of care in their choices because it's representing them and some oftentimes where they're from. Exactly. So with that being said, Randy, let's imagine this. You are wearing the green jacket. You're the master's champion. Okay. And you are tasked with putting together a champion's dinner. What is on Randy Carricker's menu? Okay, I'm starting off with a Caesar salad for everybody. Okay. For my appetizers, I'm going to go with toasted wraps. Classic. And medium buffalo wings. (laughs) Why buffalo wings? Just because you like them? Yeah, because I like them. Okay, great. I am going to provide people the opportunity for... Either a ribeye steak or swordfish, and or swordfish, if you want both. If you want to do the the surf and turf, you can do that. Uh, Grilled mixed veggies on the Traeger. They have to have that, right? (laughs) I love that you threw veggies in there. Oh, yeah. You got to have some green stuff. Yeah, these are healthy guys. You know, they need their greens. Uh, Choice of lobster mac and cheese or regular mac and cheese in case you don't like lobster mac and cheese. We're feasting here, right? Oh, big time. Uh, and then for those that don't want mac and cheese, mashed potatoes. Okay. With gravy. Uh-huh. And then uh, Fritz's frozen custard bar. Mm-hmm. And last but not least, wine provided by Vermeil Wines. Beautiful. I love that. Okay. So I have some of the same things as you. I'm definitely taking a full St. Louis flavor with me okay, if I good. am the master's champion and I am curating this dinner. Um, first things first, you have to start with a toasted Rav's appetizer. That's a must. Yeah. It is a staple. Second... I'm going with a, a sweet Italian salad, St. Louis mm, style, you know, call. with the, we've got the sweet Italian dressing, the cheese in the mix there, beautiful. Then for my main course, I'm showing them what St. Louis barbecue is all about. We're getting some ribs in there, some pulled pork, some beans on the side, the whole shebang. For dessert, I am going gooey butter cake. Oh yeah, good call. Because that's going to knock their socks off. And then listen, I love wine as much as the next girl, but this is St. Louis. So I want big tubs of ice surrounding these tables and I want ice cold Bud Lights in there and I want great local beers from Schlafly, from Urban Chestnut, from Forehands. We're showing them what the St. Louis beer scene is all about. Well done. Thank you. Proud of you. Thank you. You're killing me, Small. Okay, finally, Randy, Lamar Jackson. Defenses are killing him. The segment is called You're Killing Me, Smalls. Mm -hmm. And defenses have been killing him this season. So he was on the Rich Eisen show. And Rich Eisen said to him, hey, your level of play this year hasn't necessarily been what it was last year. And here's that exchange between Lamar and Rich Eisen. Uh, I feel, um, you know, it's a lot of of with schemes. You know, um, we're going against defenses. Um, They call out our play, stuff like that. Like, they know what we're doing. So a lot of that, you know, sometimes, you know, stuff won't go our way if they beat us to the punch. So you're you're hearing on the other side of the line of scrimmage the defense calling out your plays? That's what yeah, they definitely do. Like runs, stuff like that. Uh, watch out for this. Watch out for that. Sometimes that's what's going on. So, so how do you how do you combat that, Lamar? So we I guess we're going to have time and let coach you know let us know what he sees upstairs, mm-hmm. and we just go from there. That's just unbelievable that in the NFL in 2020 that you would have an offense and an offensive coordinator where the look that you gave the defense let them know what you had coming. It's, first of all, great credit to Lamar Jackson and the Ravens that they're 6-2, and two, but... That's got to be alarming for Jim Har- or John Harbaugh to hear, doesn't it? How about Lamar? Can you imagine being at the oh. line of scrimmage and you're calling out plays and then you realize that they're calling them out and they know Unreal. what's happening? Can you imagine the state, your, your anxiety and the panic that you have being like, uh, okay. Yeah. 
great. It must be a pretty antiquated offense that Greg Roman is running there. So they got some work to do. Thanks, Michelle. You got it. That's your Killing Me Smalls. Next up, we're going to head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and a friend of the station, Pierre Desir from Lindenwood, a St. Charles native, joins us on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Having trouble getting in touch with Pierre Desir, but we're able to make a change here. Most teams in the NFL, Michelle, have played at either eight or nine games. The Steelers, the only unbeaten team, are eight and zero. Oh. The Chiefs are eight and one; they've got nine. The Bills are seven and two, and then you've got six and twos among the Saints, Seahawks, Packers, Titans, Ravens, and then uh, six and three in Tampa. But with the nominal midpoint of the NFL season being here, we want to hear from you what your midseason Super Bowl pick is, and we'll give you our midseason Super Bowl pick as you look at the landscape of the league so far. Michelle, who do you have playing in the Super Bowl in February in Tampa? Randy, I'm going to go with the Kansas City Chiefs, and I want to go with the Green Bay Packers. There's a lot of choices you can go with in the NFC, but coming off this past weekend for the Buccaneers, even though that might be an outlier, I am concerned about Tom Brady moving forward. I just, at this stage of his career, at his age, I really don't know what to expect out of him. Is this going to be a fatigue factor as we go on throughout the season? Which I know is probably, I'm going to eat those words later because he continues to prove people wrong and continues to excel at whatever age. Um, The Seahawks, I do not trust their defense. I think that when it comes down to it, that they probably won't be in the mix. The Saints are interesting, but I think I'm going to go with the Packers. And I just don't think it's wise to bet against the Chiefs at this stage of the game. So that's why I went Chiefs and I went Packers. I think it's reasonable to be concerned about the ability to play into February of guys like Breeze and Tom Brady. I think that's fair. And when you look at the team that does seem to have everything together, it is the Packers because they can play defense. You know Aaron Rodgers is going to be there for the whole season, but they've had some injury issues that they've had to deal with. So at this point, the midpoint of the season, I am going to go with the Chiefs, even though the Steelers are undefeated, and I'm going to go with Tampa Bay to play the Super Bowl at home in February. We go now to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and a friend of the station, a Lindenwood grad from St. Charles, Pierre Desir, kind enough to join us. Pierre, with Michelle Smallman, this is Randy Carricker. Thanks so much for taking some time. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing good. How are you doing, man? Thank you for having me. We're, we're thrilled to have you with us. And obviously this has been a weird year for everybody, but particularly weird for, year for you in your first year in New York. What's this season and what has this year been like for Pierre Desir? Uh, this season has been a season of adapting, you know, just trying to adapt to a new team and adjusting with the COVID pandemic, just trying to get to know everyone, trying to get to know the playbook. Um, yeah, this was a lot of, just took a lot of adjusting and getting used to, um, the current situation. Pierre, it obviously hasn't been the start that you envisioned with the Jets, but last year the team started 1-7 and they, they finished 7-9. and nine. So that team, a lot of guys in that locker room know that a turnaround is possible. So what's the mentality like in the locker room right now? Guys, guys are just coming in to work hard um, every day. Everyone um, wants to win, and, you know, we just hasn't our way, but guys are still positive. I'm going in there working every day. Um, to come out with a win. 
you know, I, I was rooting for you guys on Monday night, and I thought you had the Jets. How frustrating is that? You, you're saying to yourself, I'm sure, man, are we ever going to get one? And then you feel like you have one. So what was that like on Monday night after that game? Just, you know, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, football, the games, it comes down to the last last second. And, you know, we thought we played well enough to get the, the victory. But, you know, that's just what happens as part of the game. But everyone came out that game um, just, you know, everyone just wants a win. And we put a lot of work in throughout the week um, to get ready for, uh, for the game. But guys are still hungry. Guys are still positive, And we're just you know, looking to go into the next week um, and to work to get a win. Pierre, what's Adam Gase like as a head coach? Can you describe for us what he's like day in and day out in the locker room? Yeah, uh, you know, Coach, he, he, he pumps everyone up, you know. He's he's positive. He, he tries to make sure that we keep our mind um, focused on the right thing. I know, you know, not having the, the greatest start, um, in the beginning of the season, you can always look outside and start pointing fingers, but he's trying to bring everyone together to unite us that we stay together because only we can fix um, what's going on. So just everyone's just staying positive and just keeping people motivated and together. You just mentioned keeping everyone focused and not looking outside. And you know, in the New York scene, the tabloids, especially with the sports, it's like a, it's like another sport there. We read all right. the headlines in the New York Post and the New York Daily News. Is that something that any of you and your teammates pay attention to? Do you use that as bulletin board material? Or like you just mentioned with Coach Gase, is it something that you don't want to look outside and see? Yeah, I think it's, I think it'd be a combination. Um, I know um, at times you you can use it as motivation, um, but you don't want to use it, have it as a distraction in the locker room. Try to bring it in or bring too much negativity in. So this kind of combination, you got to find that sweet spot of you know using it as a motive as a motivation factor, but still not letting it distract you in the locker room. Number 35 for the New York Jets is St. Charles native Pierre Desir, played at Lindenwood University. Pierre, we got to know Greg Williams when he was the defensive coordinator when the Rams were here in St. Louis. Give us an idea of what a meeting with Greg Williams is like. A meeting with Greg Williams, it's intense. Um, he's he's uh, going to call you out um, on what you're not doing right because there's a standard that he holds everyone to, um, and that's the standard that that, that you you know you're gonna play hard you're gonna work hard um, doesn't really matter about how much talent you have you gotta come in to work and um, that's that's something as a player that you, that you need from your coach that he's gonna keep you on your toes and uh, keep you focused on what you need to be focused on so it's just intense he's gonna he's gonna get you right and uh, he's gonna make sure that you're working hard one thing that the players and he talked about here was how complicated his defense is can you give us an idea of how much more you have to study this defense with the Jets as opposed to some of the others that you've played in? Um, you know, for me and uh, as a corner in the secondary, um, there's a lot of you know little things that you need to know as part of the defense of where the the backers are going to be. Um, so, but it's part of it's it's my job. So just learning the most I can about the defense, so I know where other players are going to be to allow me to be in the right position. Um, you know, it's part of your job. You just got to, you know, ask the right questions. And we, we do a lot of walkthrough. We do a lot of studying together as a team. So that also helps. Pierre, I want to ask you about your quarterback, Sam Darnold. 
you see him all the time. You see him in practice. You see him in games. You have a good vantage point of him. If he stays healthy, what do you think he can be in this league? If he stays healthy, he could be a great quarterback. Um, I see him. We see him practice all the time. He, he's mobile. He's able to make the throws on the run. Um, so I think you know, if he can stay healthy, he could he can do that. He can be mobile. He can make plays. Um, he's a great leader. And um, I think uh, he, he's ha- going to have a successful uh, career, um, very long career in the NFL. Pierre, last thing from me, you're playing a game, you're getting paid to play a game. Is this fun? Is this, is it, uh, can a season like this be fun? Uh, yes. You know, f- football is fun. I, I think a lot of guys still have that uh, mentality that it's fun. Um, and, you know, it's, it's unfortunate uh, to, to not be winning games, but, you got to have that love and passion, especially during these times. You know, during these times of adversity, is really going to show the character of the team. And we got a lot of great character guys that are still going to come in willing to work, um, have fun, um, and still fight for a victory. So, I mean, it's still fun. Uh, you know, it's not it's not the best feeling to lose, but guys love the game, and and that's what you need. Guys are still going to love the game and still have fun and come out there and work every day. And how's the family doing? I know how attached you are. And w- when you do have a bad day, you can always come home, and that makes you happier, right? Yeah, absolutely. Come home. The kids don't really care about too much of what's going on, so they kind of help you forget about what's going on, and then you can get a nice refresher um, from just from being around them. So uh, family is definitely important to, to get your mind off it, but, uh, you know, you still got to the next couple of days got to go in and got to go back to work. Pierre, good to talk to you. Thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. Good luck down the stretch, and we'll talk again. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right, take care. That is Pierre Desir, Lindenwood great, and we get a lot of Lindenwood greats, Dan McLaughlin, Scotty Menziara, Alex Ferrario, Pierre Desir. A lot of people have done a lot of things. A lot of people in this room and on these phone lines. Lindenwood greats. Yeah, so pretty cool to have Pierre on the show. Coming up, we're going to cross things over with Dan McLaughlin. He's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. We are getting ready for Scoops with Danny Mac here on 101 ESPN. The voice of the Cardinals on Fox Sports Midwest is the one and only Dan McLaughlin. Great to see you. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How about you guys? Everything's going well here. We've had a fun show. We just talked to Pierre Desir of the 0-9 Jets. I really was rooting for them to win the other night. Pierre is from Lindenwood, right? He's a Lindenwood grad. Yeah, yes. Lindenwood grad. Uh, I think they win one game. they got to win one they game. they got to win one. And then if you're Trevor Lawrence, do you take... The number one pick and become uh, a jet. I say you do. So we had this discussion the other day. Did you hear us talking about this the other day? Did not. I thanks for listening, Randy. Um, <laughs> and you're nodding in approval. Thank you. You're I'll, I'll engage with you. Then. Okay, then let's go down. Um, I think that if you're the number one pick, even if you're going to the Jets, which seems to be dysfunctional, they're not going to win, and you might get killed. I still take. The money. I'm going into a number one market for marketing, mm-hmm. so you can market him. A lot of endorsements. That's part of it. And I'm not taking another chance of blowing out my knee or my back or my arm or my shoulder. I'm not doing it. Football's a rough game, baby. Take the money. <laughs> Take the money. Before Go. you get paid, you mean. You're not, you're not taking that risk with your health before you get paid in the NFL. Because you're definitely going to take that risk if you play for the Jets. 
<laughs> Good point. Yeah, they're they're one A, right? There, yeah. There's one and there's one A. Right. Um, it's almost kind of like how some of these guys have looked at some, not all, but some of the LSU kids said, "I'm just not going to play this year. I'm going to get ready for the draft." Sure, I get it. I don't mm-hmm. blame them one bit. Neither do I. If I if I have a chance to go make my money, and the risk is there to go play to college, I don't care. Colleges are making money off of me. I'm going to make my money, mm-hmm. and that's what I'm going to do. If Matt Leinart would have come out in 2004, he would have been the number one pick overall. He, he dropped to... Tenth. Okay. I was going to say he, six. He, in the next year, he fell to tenth overall. And obviously, never wound up being great. How much did that cost him, you think? At that time, probably $10, 12000000 million. So he, was, yeah. he went to Arizona, right, with that right. pick? Yep. And so what was the number one pick that year? What, what city? Do you remember? It was uh, Houston. And you're a number one pick, man, and he's coming from the glitz and glamour of USC, marketable, good-looking guy. Yep. You know, I I, I just think you take the money, man. It's kind of like in baseball. I've never understood this. What are you laughing at me for? I have lots of thoughts, Randy. Um, it's kind of like in baseball, especially if I was a pitcher and I'm offered lifetime-changing money. Mm-hmm. Let's say I'm Jack Flaherty. You're Jack Flaherty. And uh, the Cardinals come to me, which I think they will at least dip their toe into that water and say, hey, we could buy out some arbitration years. Here's what we're thinking. Obviously, we don't know about the CB. And the Cardinals and maybe a lot of baseball people aren't doing this. So let's just say say pitcher X. And they say, we're going to buy you out of these arbitration years and pay you millions of dollars. And by the way, you're still going to get another bite at the apple after this contract. I say, where do I sign? Why would I take that chance? I don't understand. I mean, I I get betting on yourself, Mm -hmm. and I totally understand that to an extent. But then I think about blowing out my elbow. I wouldn't be worried about. It'd be scary. Mm -hmm. Anybody that has surgery or Tommy John, it's got to be scary. But my shoulder, I'm concerned about my shoulder. We have not had the perfection of fixing shoulders. So take the money. And it's like you said, I appreciate guys that bet on themselves. But do you think right now that Chris Bryant is happy that he turned down the $200 million no, from the Cubs? that's a perfect example. And and Chris Bryant is one fastball to the face away from, you know, fastball getting away from well, somebody, and, and all of a sudden your career is completely different. And he's also not the player that he bet on himself being. That's part of it, too. I, I just think it's like generational money, and they're handing it to yep. you. Here you go. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. yours. It's guaranteed. Whether you play another day or not, when you sign on that dotted line, it's there. But circling back to Trevor Lawrence, I think he's in a very hyper-unique position. He is such a rare commodity. People have not talked about or bet on Trevor Lawrence being what he is. I mean, he reminds me of the way we used to talk about Andrew Luck, where people say, this is going to be a very surefire, number one overall, can't-miss guy. He's going to alter your franchise. And if you're him, and you know that you have the power and that you can stay back, and even if you do get injured, like a Tua, you're still going to be a top-five pick. You're still going to get generational-type money. And if I'm him, I look at guys like Sam Bradford. I look at people that have gone to inept organizations and their entire careers have been ruined because of it. What about, about, though, saying, though, that I want to be the guy that changes it? If you can change it in New York, that's one thing. But what if Jacksonville has the first pick and it might be the Jaguars, it might be the London Jaguars that you get drafted to? Cool. Sign me up. That's my feeling. I, I, I know I'm not... A lot of people probably don't agree, but that's where I'm at. Well, and I think it's a lot of it is where you come from with 
Sure. Eli Manning, mm-hmm. Eli Manning yep. knew he was going to be fine, and his dad was able to set things up so that he could wind up with the Giants. But not everybody has that ability. And hopefully, from his perspective, from the perspective of Trevor Lawrence, the Jets will be a different organization the day he gets drafted because they'll get a legitimate head coach and general manager in there with legitimate leadership. Also, I I don't know his background. I don't know if he comes from a blue collar background, a poor background, a rich background. That, that changes things California, too. And um so and, and then the starting quarterback got hurt and he got into the huddle. He won a game and then all of his teammates started calling him Sunshine and <laughs> then it's just the way everything worked out. Yeah, it's Sunshine, Lollipops, Kissing Babies. It's all good. Yeah. yeah, I get it. I just take the money. This is a Remember the Titans. I know. Reference. I know. Thanks. I got you, Randy. It was an old man, Uncle Randy reference. Okay. How's sure. Uncle Randy going? Ask Uncle Randy. It was good. We had a question uh, yesterday. Someone had a very serious work issue where one of their coworkers had some body odor and didn't know how to approach it. And <laughs> oh, really? Uncle Randy gave some great advice on how to handle that very We were just talking situation. about that, weren't we? Yes, that yep. happened to Uncle Randy yesterday. I, I pointed out that I was raised the right way to talk behind people's backs. Nice. <laughs> and I said, you just go to the HR person and you, you get it done that way. You don't bother with going but, directly to somebody. Can HR, you, though, come in and say you need to shower more? Yes. Well, yeah, they can. What if they say, well, I've been showering, I just have... Bad body odor. I don't know if that worked here specifically. Okay. I think you if hope. you're HR, you just say your smell is disrupting the work, the work, the workplace. Yeah. Yes. Okay. This is it's a disruptive. That that's very, I think a calm approach, level keel, even keeled approach, Michelle. See, I un- can Uncle see that. Randy, Uncle so, Randy goes after him. Yeah. <laughs> How about this one for Uncle Randy? Someone texted in and said that their girlfriend had gained some quarantine weight, quarantine Ooh. thick, Ooh. and says so she complains about it, but also doesn't put down the zebra cakes, and wanted to know Ooh. if. This person said, am I doing my girlfriend a disservice by not being honest with her? Because he said anytime she says, I, f- I feel big uh, or whatever, he says, you're beautiful. Don't worry about it. And he wanted to know for Uncle Randy, what wow. should he do? That's That makes me grimace. Uncle Randy, what do you got? <laughs> well, Dan, being a sports guy, you understand the old football term. He's a biscuit away from 300. <laughs> <laughs> So, well, well, I pointed out that 95% of males believe that there is such thing as too skinny. Most of us like a little bit of meat, little bit of meat on the bones. <laughs> but I, I do think that you can get into a dangerous area there where you can have something that is attractive that very quickly turns into... Unhealthy? Unhealthy and out of control. <laughs> I don't know if I want to touch this, because um, again, on opening day, you never know what I may look like. So I, I'm not one to talk, but um, I go a little up, a little down, a little in the middle. That's why I have about three different sections on my my closet. You know, I've handled the quarantine okay. I'm coming out yeah, of that all right. Great. So you yeah. can give great advice then. Yeah. On how to I, handle the quarantine. Well, I just don't know how you handle the women, the the woman side of it. I I don't know if you can say anything to her. Well, Randy had the Uncle Randy, of course. Again, it's coming really in. Michelle. I mean, it's supposed to be about love of and course. not about appearance, personality, right? 
But right. Ran- Uncle Randy, again, coming in hot with the great advice, said, hot. coming in hot, you don't want her to feel insecure about herself. So if she's saying to you, I think I've gained some weight, you understand that she's coming to you. She's opening the door for this conversation. So Uncle Randy said, this is when you turn it on yourself and you say, I feel like I've gained quarantine weight. We should go on a diet together. Will you support me in this journey? Look at you, you naughty. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Slim 180, cha-ching. What about showing old pictures? Hey, do you remember this great time we had in Arizona? You know, look. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And all of a sudden, it's kind of on the beach in Florida or something. Yeah, Yeah. you could do that. I'm not touching that, though. I tell my wife, and she is beautiful, and she is in great shape, that she's Mm -hmm. always in great shape. I said we're in a precarious spot because usually your genes tell you. The boyfriend or significant other does not have to have that conversation. Your genes will tell you when you've eaten too many zebra cakes. But we're all working from home. We're dressing in a more casual way. We're wearing sweatpants now. That's true. The genes are not there to have that tough combo. I I hug my wife a lot, and she Mm -hmm. doesn't like that. (laughs) <laughs> and so um, I go, oh, come here. And my kids come up and start hitting me. So you got to stop that. Really? Oh, yeah. They stop. They they stop me. You leave her alone. You leave her alone. And I'm trying to show that it's okay to have an expressive relationship and show your love. Affection. I, yes. love that, I, I agree with that. Uh, Darby Shaw, golden retriever, has FOMO. <laughs> so she has fear of missing out. So whenever we hug... Darby's got to be there hugging with us. Um, wow. I was told yeah. by my oldest daughter, I have four kids, that um, she said that she loved Doug more than me. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. She loves the dog more than me. And then wow. my wife said, I can see why. I oh. said, thanks a lot. That's that's <laughs> my standing right now in my household. And they are and so- you're a great guy. Oh, just ask me. And they are so concerned about uh, baseball and not traveling next year because they want me out. <laughs> out. So like Libby's like, let me talk to Mr. DeWitt. Let me get a hold of Rob Manfred. I got some thoughts about what we need to do with baseball. Dan like, so out, just Doug in. Down. Yeah, Doug's in. Doug's got his own Doug. bed. Yeah. Yeah, it's, that's, that's how we roll the McLaughlin household. How about uh, the Thursday edition of Scoops? Brad Thompson. BT. BT is going to be here. Um, I don't think he can go wrong talking baseball. So a lot of baseball. BT, Um, uh, I texted him yesterday, and for many years he has said, I want a big power hitting Cuban. So that's what he wants the Cardinals to get. Is there one out there? I don't know. I'm sure there's one. I'm going to talk a little bit about the pitching the free agency market, which I don't think the Cardinals need to go into. John Heyman just tweeted out that there are now four teams interested in Yadier Molina. Wow. With the Cardinals being one of the four, I do think Yadi comes back. That's my personal opinion, but we can get into that. And then there was an also, one of the things I want to ask is that there was an interesting study done that I just saw yesterday about how you want your food delivered post-coronavirus at a stadium. Huh. And huh. I, I, what's the appetite, for, lack of a better word, but uh, <laughs> what's the appetite for people to come back? You know, And Rob Manfred said yesterday, or two days ago, at a conference with Adam Silver and Gary Bettman that he wants fans in the stands. we got to have fans in the stands uh, come baseball season. So we have a lot of time, well, kind of a lot of time, between baseball's at the driver's seat now. Remember, they weren't in the driver's seat. They were Mm -hmm. trying to deal with this, and now they've got time on their hands. So to an extent, we'll see what happens. We're used to the delivery at the green seats at this point. That's right. Randy and I are, yes. So would you, you know, dial it up on your phone, 
kind of thing, no matter where you're at. Seems and like there could be an app, right? Like I do, like I order food from Uber Eats or something. I should be able to do it from my seat. And I think that's kind of maybe where we're going because they said some people don't want to get in a concession stand line. Oh yeah, good point. Mm-hmm. And stand next to people. So we'll see. See how it goes. Great. We're looking forward to the show. Thank Scott Menziar, our producer engineer. Thank you for great work. Hey, thanks, Randy. Michelle, this was fun. It was, Randy. See you tomorrow. And we will do it again tomorrow for a Friday edition of Character and Smallman. Hopefully, we'll have some master's action to talk about. And for all of us, thanks for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. Till tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Looking for something to do this weekend? Make up for lost time and check live events off your bucket list. Vivid Seats has tickets to sports, concerts, comedy, and theater, all at great prices. And all with a 100% buyer guarantee. Plus, they're the only ticketing company where you can earn rewards with every purchase. No one else has that. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today and use Ticket Now for $10 off your first $100 purchase. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. Cough and cold season is here. Introducing Ricola Max Throat Care, Ricola's most powerful drop yet. It's the best of Swiss nature wrapped around a powerful liquid menthol center for maximum relief from your worst cough and sore throat. Maximum nature for maximum relief. Try the new Ricola Max now, available in the cold and cough aisle. It's in our nature.